kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? There. Welcome to episode 68 of the Love That Album podcast. My name's Morris. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, three episodes this month, well, two of mine and one of Eric's, so uh, we've got a lot of music talk over uh, this month, and um, I hope you're enjoying it, hope you're digging it. And here we go. So episode 68, this is an album I, I'm really surprised I didn't think to talk about a long time ago, because it's definitely a big fave, and I know that there are a few of you out there who are also big fans of it. We're going to be talking about Jellyfish's album, their second album from 1993, Spilt Milk. And I'm excited because I'm bringing in a new uh, partner into the LTA podcasting family. This is uh, a fellow who um, just appeared on the Facebook group a few months ago and um, also a big fan of Jellyfish. So I thought, why not invite him on? Uh, good morning to Reese. This is Reese Lett, everyone. Good morning to you, Morris. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Oh, look, very, very excited. Um, always, uh, always a big thrill for me to uh, get to speak to a new person. Um, see how the dynamic goes. It's always uh, very, very exciting. So, for the people out there um, who haven't seen your name on the Facebook uh, page, uh, give us a little bit of a background. So, you're a, you're a working musician. So, give us the uh, the hard tale of the musician's life. Yeah, very lucky to. Uh make a living out of playing music and teaching music. Uh, I own a music school um, in one of the suburbs of Melbourne uh, that we run seven days a week teaching people of all ages, all abilities. Uh, and I'm in here teaching three or four nights a week. Wow. Uh, and then come weekends, I'm out there in the pubs, clubs, casinos, um, slogging it away, doing uh, cover band work. Uh, and just yesterday, did sort of three gigs in one day, which is a bit of a marathon effort. Holy Not the moly. usual, okay. but uh, usually it's uh, a Friday, Saturday, and, and Sunday night. I'm out there on the town mm. um, playing acoustic shows, full band shows, you name it. So tell us about the nature of some of the shows that you do. I understand that you do a, uh, a, a Kiss-related show, but not your usual Kiss cover band. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got a, uh, you'd loosely call it a tribute act because we don't do the makeup, we don't do the costumes and the, the, the pyro and all that. Uh, we're called Dress to Chill. We take the, the Kiss catalogue and do it on three acoustic guitars and three voices. Wow. Because there's a, a lot of, British sensibility in their, their songwriting. They were massive Beatles fans, mm. um, uh, Led Zeppelin fans uh, right through. Uh, that uh, it, it really lends itself. It's just great pop songwriting is what uh, the three of us found. Mm. Uh, I do that with Matt Bradshaw and Rav Thomas, both of them pretty acclaimed musicians um, in the Melbourne and the Australian scene. Rav's just released a, a new single on iTunes, so everyone please go grab that. And the name of that song is? Uh, 
You've stuck me there for the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know it's got weekend in the title. Okay. Uh, so do look at that, but just buy all this stuff on iTunes. Help him out. Uh, so it's, it's funny you mentioned about the um, the British sensibility because I, I remember, although I guess this is more, it was an American thing, but um, I remember hearing years ago their uh, their second live album, you know, Kiss Alive 2, and they do this incredibly wonderful version of uh, Any Way You Want It. And it just yes. didn't seem to me to be, oh, that's not a typical kiss song but um i thought it was a great cover version and it really did sort of show that they had that uh 60s pop invasion sensibility in them so yeah certainly um yeah unfortunately the makeup and costumes probably turn a lot of people away Mm. but you know we're about to talk power pop today i think they've written one of the greatest power pop albums of all time in dress to kill which is obviously where we borrowed our name from right uh, that everyone should go and seek that out. If you're going to start with Kiss, grab that one. Mm-hmm. It's a, a really great little pal pop record. Yes. I know that actually like uh, on, on some of the music forums, uh, you know, Kiss, obviously you know, they have their big fans, but there's also a whole bunch of detractors for precisely that reason. I think, you know, I, yeah. you know they're, oh, they're more of a pop pan than, uh, than a metal band. And I, I think that's a bit of a stupid sort of... Uh, uh, criticism, you know, I mean, that's maybe just, I don't know. It's a cer- they're certainly a polarizing band, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And when we mention, oh, we're going to, you know, to, to friends, we're going to do a whole kiss night, come on down and, and have a look. Uh, when they actually hear the songs uh, and arrange, we're pretty much doing them Crosby, Stills and Nash style, <laughs> um, is, is the way to think of it. That's awesome. Uh, it's, um, it's, we have a blast, obviously, that's so- our favorite so, Bands, for, so. so for anyone anyone based in Melbourne who's listening to the show, where can where can they go see you? Uh, we probably will be doing our next shows early next year. Oh, you're taking uh, we're, a, a we're currently up. yeah currently recording uh, twelve fifteen tracks in the studio um, to release on iTunes. We've appeared on a tribute CD that was put together out of Canada. Um, so you can also grab our version of uh, Tomorrow, which was off the Unmasked album, which was the big one. Out here in Australia that they toured on in 1980. Oh, I remember Shandy getting continuous airplay. Yes. And, uh, and uh, countdown video clip airplay. That was- yeah, it was it was hysteria for a while there in 1980. <laughs> um, so, okay, so um, people, can, when you do return, so you'll be, you play uh, the Elephant and Wheelbarrow in, um, in that's, Berkshire? Yep. That's our general covers gig on a Saturday night that I do with Matt Bradshaw. And then uh, on Friday and Sunday nights, um, at our local casino, Crown Casino, right. here in Melbourne, uh, we do three or four sets, forty-minute sets a night. So you're you're sort of doing about thirty songs a night. The acoustic gigs at Crown, um, come on up and request a song. Uh, there's not a lot that I, I don't know how to play over the years. <laughs> I've been doing this uh, okay. twenty years now. I've been out there as a, a gigging musician. So started when I was fifteen. That's fantastic because, you know, there are so many musicians who are obviously doing it hard, but um, you've sought out, obviously sought out the opportunities and um, you've, you've made something that you love, uh, something that you can earn a living from. That's absolutely terrific. Yeah, very fortunate. And, and tell us a little bit about the music school. I've seen some posts on Facebook. You're obviously, you know, incredibly proud of the kids who uh, come and learn from me. So give, give us a little bit of a background about uh, your music school. Uh, so aside from the gigging, teaching something I've always done since I was 16 as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked at the Eastern Suburbs School of Music before uh, taking it over from the owner three or four years ago. 
we have about 150 people a week coming in for instrumental lessons uh, over about 10 instruments. So your typical rock stuff, guitar, bass, drums, keyboard, uh, singing. Uh, we're also doing violin, cello, uh, ukulele, banjo, mandolin. Wow. Uh, Everyone comes in for half an hour and leaves with a, a big smile on their face. We get to, to pass our passion for music on uh, to the wonderful people and students that, that come in through our doors. Wow, that's wonderful. And so you do uh, end-of-year concerts or mid-year concerts exhibiting uh, what the kids have learned? Yes, that's that's the, the last big thing I've got to tick off for the year is our end-of-year concerts in mid-December. Mm. And then I get to have a big six-week break and, and look after my little two-year-old Harrison. <laughs> I can't wait for that to, to come around. <laughs> so, the, so the big question is, is uh, Harrison going to be taking up an instrument or are you going to say, run away, run uh, away? Well, <laughs> um, I bring him down. I'm at the music school right now uh, as we record this. Mm. Uh, I bring him down here Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, when I've got to pick my gear up uh, for whatever gig I'm doing that night and he just runs for the drum kit. Um, nice. So I, I could have a drummer on my hands, which... Yeah. <laughs> Good. It's a bit approve. unfortunate. I was hoping for a singer. <laughs> not as much gear that you have to lug around. Yeah. Uh, but he's got a new favourite piano, or I should say piano, mm. which is the way that he, he says it. So, but drums is still definitely first. He walks in here and and um, opens the drum room door, runs over to the drum teacher's uh, collection of sticks, mm. and and just says up up and onto the kid he goes. <laughs> And There's a great story I, in that I, years later. I can walk around the music school and as long as I keep hearing those drums going, I'm right. Yeah. As soon as there's a bit of silence, I'll stick my head in. <laughs> it's usually just a big smile, just <laughs> sitting there, just having a break, Dad. Oh, that's wonderful. So, but yes, he's a loves his music. Play School is the absolute favorite TV show, full of music. So um, yeah, looks like he might have, have the gift too. Oh, good. Terrific. Um, well, at least you'll always have uh, your support. There won't be any of this. Uh, I want to go into music, Dad. Oh, really? So yeah. <laughs> can't, you, can't you choose a day job? No, he'll have that. Uh, well, it's good enough for you, Dad. Oh, boom, boom. Uh, that's it. Yeah, it's, it's going to be hard <laughs> to say no. No. All right. Uh, what we'll do at this point, uh, before we get into our jellyfish talk, is we're going to uh, have our regular segment from uh, Eric Reanimator. Yes, he's still... Working hard, he's come up with uh, two segments for this month, plus his um, Love That Album compilation series. You should be uh, checking all that out. Uh, but uh, this time around, Eric's gone for um, uh, his, his album, My Love segment, is for another album that came out in 1993 from a band originally from Pennsylvania. They're called the Cyclone Rangers, and that's with a P.S., not C., uh, the Cyclone Rangers in their album from 1993 called Feel Nice, and Eric describes them as sort of power pop bordering on grunge. So uh, have a listen to what he has to say about them, and uh, then Reese and I will be back to talk a little bit of jellyfish for you all. So uh, you're listening to Love That Album, episode 68. We'll be back shortly. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. I want two, I want two, three, four. Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator. A la dee dee, a one, two, three. 
about what I consider to be the very rougher edge of power pop, moving right into Garage Rock. We're going to be talking about the Cyclone Rangers and their 1993 release, Feel Nice. Now, this is a record that I randomly picked up when I was in college. saw that our local warehouse records there in East Lansing, Michigan, and the kind of pop art, weird, cartoony cover kind of hooked me and made me interested. Went to go look at the song titles, the songs about... Jack Kennedy and E. Sedgwick and a song called The Riot Girl and it just seemed like wow this could be good kitschy fun. Now, this was on the World Domination label which was one of those weird little uh, vanity labels that some CEO had given to somebody like a vice president where they, uh, they got to run their own label but it was uh, overseen by a major and distributed in this case it was Capitol Records. Over the years I did run into a number of World Domination titles. This also reminds me of uh, the work of Frank Kozik, who actually did the cover. No wonder it does. Who was a very popular 90s pop artist. He did a lot of uh, show posters and album covers and his own label for a while. They had a, a lot of weird stuff on it. Hailing from uh, Pennsylvania, the Cycle Rangers one of those weird 90s bands that kind of fell in that let's see who we have to sign to get a big hit for the quarter. You know, that whole Nirvana thing where record executives were scrambling for who can I sign and sell. They kind of got lost in the mix, unfortunately, because while they weren't consistently great across their two albums and several EPs, this debut album, Feel Nice, is a great, fuzzy, pop-rock album that occasionally orients itself towards garage rock or occasionally more towards fuzzy power-pop sound. Let's take a listen.
Morris told me that you're going to be covering Jellyfish on this album, and I kind of thought, hey, I'll do uh, the other Jellyfish album, because everyone talks about Belly Button, and my favorite is Spilled Milk. But when he told me that's the album you were covering, I had to think of another 90s power pop or power pop-esque kind of a band that I wanted to match them with. And I thought about pulling out my greatest CD, but I haven't listened to them in forever. I don't really remember them well enough to feel like I can coherently comment. I was going to talk about a band called Crunchy that maybe I'll get to down the line, but that just didn't feel right. So I figured I might go to the other end of that 90s grunge alternative power pop uh, spectrum. And yes, this is very grungy. It's very stoner rock. It's got those kind of that fuzz and that tempo and makes me think of bands like Caius and Clutch. And if you're into that, this is the kind of album that you're probably going to dig. There were a lot of records I tried out back in the 90s and some of them stayed in my collection and some didn't. This one did. This one stuck. I think I do also have their follow-up record, which I remember not quite liking as much, plus an EP that followed that. And then they kind of vanished, but revisiting this record, I, I'm very comfortable in saying that along with several other also-rans and no-hit wonders and bands that they tried to throw up the wall to see if they would stick. There's a lot of great stuff out there. I think the Cyclone Rangers record is really good. I think that it captures the time and the energy and the, uh, the ideas of what was going on, but still has a certain amount of fun without being a total clone of something else. You know, you can hear the Pixies, you can definitely hear that power pop, you know, they, they play their hand later on in their career where they cover the gun club and they kind of point back to the earlier punk rock. Or punk rock meets something else. In the case of the gun club, it's the blues fusion that they were playing with. This is definitely the kind of record that if you see it in the dollar bin, you see it in the last chance bin or the free bin or whatever, pick it up and give it a chance. So I'm going to play just a couple more tunes and then we're going to call it a night. So, enjoy. This has been Eric Reanimator, and I'll catch you all next time.
And we're back. Thanks very much, Eric, for another wonderful Album I Love segment. And you'll be hearing Eric next month on our uh, end-of-year shooting-the-shit favourite uh, albums of 2014. And actually, probably before we go into talking some general jellyfish talk here, I want to take this opportunity to remind you listeners out there that if you have um, any favourite albums that you want to uh, mention that you've been digging on in 2014, and as I said, they don't have to be 2014 released albums. They can be albums that were released years ago that you've only caught on to this year for the first time. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, you want to send me an email or you want to send me an MP3 with you talking about it for you know, 10-15 minutes, I'll put it in uh, the end of year special. We're going to do two different shows, one with the general Shooting the Shit crew talking about our favourite albums and another one that I've been compiling of uh, previous announcers or, or uh, music journalists, anyone who uh, has been uh, kind enough to give me of their time to talk about their favourite albums from this year. I'm really very excited. I've uh, got some great people lined up to talk on that show. And um, if uh, you want to send me an MP3, I'd love to hear from you, and we'll be uh, including your uh, segment in that, um, in that second show. So uh, a lot of music talk. But yeah, Eric will be back in um, uh, December to uh, do... Uh, his favourite albums of the year as part of the uh, Shooting the Shit crew. So uh, very excited about that. Uh, it's been a good so year it, musically too. There's been oh, a yeah, lot of sure. stuff I've listened to this year, like uh, being surrounded by music all the time. It's not generally what I do jumping in the car is listen to more music, but I, I certainly <laughs> have this year and of late as well, which a lot of new releases that I've been enjoying. Well, feel free to send me a, a segment. We'll, um, we'll I certainly in. will be. I'll be sitting down at some stage this week. and Good. Good and getting one out to you. So, um, uh, so yeah, if you want to uh, send me that, you can uh, email your segment uh, to rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. Or if you're already on the Facebook, you can uh, add it as an attachment to a private message to me. And um, I, as I keep saying, love to hear from you. But uh, anyway, enough of that. We're talking about this episode. This is episode 68. And um, we're going to be talking about uh, Jellyfish's album, of 1993, their second album, and as it turned out, unfortunately, their final album called Spilt Milk. But let's do a little bit of uh, general talk about them. First of all, let's a, a little bit of a history, a potted history, in case uh, there were those of you out there who may not have yet uh, caught on to them. So they were formed in 1989 from uh, San Francisco, and the nucleus of the band on the first album was uh, drummer and lead singer Andy Sturmer, uh, Roger Joseph Manning, who I think was a multi-instrumentalist, uh, but you know, guitarist and and uh, keyboard player, and um, then um, Jason Faulkner, who was on the first album, and uh, he he played guitars and I, I, did he do bass work on? on yeah, I, I believe pretty much the guitar and bass work on that album is all Jason. Ah, well, the the, um, the thing that's really interesting, I was reading this up, was that. Um, he got. Uh, he, he was. He joined the band because uh, Rod, um, uh, Roger Joseph Manning Jr. was attracted to an ad that uh, Faulkner had put. Uh, I'm not sure if it was in a music store or in the newspaper, uh, stating that XTC was uh, his favourite band. So, um, uh, so that that was uh, that was wonderful because you know you get a lot of uh, band people who uh, say, oh, "I wanted to join band. I mean, to Led Zeppelin or." 
I'm into uh, Nirvana or whatever, and that was an unusual choice, he thought. So, um, yeah, late, late 80s too mm, mm. Like, uh, at that stage, right in the middle of, of uh, big hair and spandex. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. A very unusual choice for, uh, for that. And, real, I mean... I mean, XTC went to some unusual places. Of course, I mean, like you know, their their late seventies output had that sort of a uh, uh, punky vibe, but certainly with a pop sensibility. But when they sort of started doing um, uh, the stuff in the eighties, you know, orange albums like Oranges and Lemons, and uh, the Big Express, which certainly had some of that eighties uh, uh, production, uh, vibe new wavish, yeah, yeah, but. Um, so they, they did fit within the 80s, and yet they didn't. But um, I, I heard some rumours during the week, I think might have been from the XTC, uh, or from an XTC Facebook uh, group, fan group called Chalk Hills, whereby um, uh, some of the original uh, tapes or original recordings, um, uh, original masters of uh, Oranges and Lemons might have been destroyed or something like that. If uh. there's anyone out there who can confirm whether that's so or not, Please. Horrible when things yeah. like that come I, I, come to light, or there's fires in warehouses, and I'm I'm hoping like that that's what just, we've lost. I'm hoping that's just a rumor, but yeah, fine album, and, and um, you'd hate to think that uh, the masters for that have, have been destroyed. It's just that would be cruel and shameful. Absolutely. Anyway, so uh, Jellyfish had um, uh, created with their first album, Belly Button. They had influences. Well, the influences that keep getting cited, uh, Queen. Uh, for the grandiose feel that, uh, and also for um, uh, Andy Sturmer's and Freddie Mercury's uh, vocal similarities. Uh, yeah, and those harmonies as well that, that certainly go right throughout both albums. Uh, we'll be uh, talking a lot about those yeah. Beach Boys harmonies for sure. Well, that, that's the thing. I mean, you, I mean, you don't necessarily cite harmonies as harmonies. Oils ain't oils, as they uh, used to say on the ads here in the 70s. But um, you know, the Queen harmonies and Beach Boys harmonies are very, very different. And yet their albums exhibit examples of both. And yet it seems to be that it's the Beach Boys harmonies that um, they often get cited uh, more for. Yeah, probably because of the, the singles. Uh, the single off Belly Button was The King is Half Undressed. That's got that, that Beach Boys midsection. Right, right. Uh, and as we'll discuss with Spilt Milk, the the uh, Ghost at Number One probably selected as a single for that same reason, had that Beach Boys midsection. And yet, well, as we'll, we'll, when we get to it, um, joining a fan club, there's moments in that, harmonies in that, which sound very Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, Absolutely. Uh, with, with that line, yeah, all you've got to do is pay to pray, and that pray, 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 that, that's very quaint, but we'll get to that shortly. Um, there's, uh, there are definitely Wings influences here, and they did do a cover of Letterman. And, and, great, great, uh, and Jet as well, great cover of Jet. Oh, really? I, I, yeah. I never heard that. Yep, yep. Uh, and that was Jason Faulkner. Uh, and the other member of the band at the time was Roger Manning's brother, was uh, their touring bass player. Oh, okay, yeah, right. The, Through the, that belly button touring phase. Right, right. And uh, yeah, so he, he left before they recorded Spilt Milk. Yeah, yeah, Riggers of the Road was uh, a bit too much and uh, possibly 
dealing with Andy Sturmer's ego, it sounds like, as well. <laughs> well, you know. Might have been I, behind it, too. But uh, when, when you're as good as Andy Sturmer, then uh, why would he You've need got to got good reason, yes, <laughs> to follow your muse absolutely any way you choose to see fit. Badfinger is another um, uh, band that they've uh, drawn similarity in comparisons to. Yeah, and great cover of... Uh, no Matter What. No Matter What, yes. Mm, mm. It's, uh, uh, so, in so their live sets. So this is definitely a band that had um, that 70s feel in the melody and arrangement department. But on the other hand, um, a song like uh, The King is Half Undressed uh, could rock it as hard as anything that was coming out of Seattle in the 90s. But unfortunately, it seems that possibly because the record company... I mean, look, we often sort of say that they fell to the wayside because of the Seattle grunge scene. But you know, real music fans don't limit themselves to one style, but unfortunately, it seems that record companies do. And I guess one comparison that we could make where uh, their record company probably failed them, probably saying, well, we don't know how to promote you in the tempest that is Seattle Grunge, uh, another band that could they could be compared to, unfortunately, um, for them was Big Star because uh, Stax yeah, exactly. and, and Columbia didn't know what, to do with them. Yes. Uh, I mean, obviously, musically, they're in fantastic company. You know, mentioning Jellyfish and Big Star in the same breath, uh, they're in the greats, but... Yeah, really. getting that almost that two albums, and by the third album, they're completely disintegrating. Right, um, right. And they started working on writing for a third album, but had just disintegrated by that stage, the, the clash of musical creative differences... So do you know, did they ever actually record any stuff for the third album? I don't know if they got to recording stage. The last thing they did record was for a Nielsen tribute CD. Oh, okay. Uh, and that was kind of the, the final goodbye, really, from that band. They, they sort of faded out. But you're, you're right. They, they got caught sort of in America. You had the grunge scene coming up. In Britain, you had Britpop starting to explode. Right. Um, uh, my sort of, I, I was 15 at the time, 93, mm -hmm. um, and it was almost as if the world went to black and white musically, and I remember there was a lot of black and white video clips, um, movies that were released at the time were all going black and white, and here's Jellyfish with this, you know, bright, colourful album <laughs> covers with Belly Button and, and Spilt Milk, and Spilt Milk CD had the, the pink spine when, yeah, everything was sort of going black and white at that stage. So. so so tell me, do you think that that sort of whole Alice in Wonderland feel of the cover of Belly Button uh, attracted people or uh, was that, I, did that get in the way? I think? think greatly to their detriment. Um, and you see their, the band image, they were, they were almost costume um, wearing throughout that whole Belly Button promotion and tour and they certainly got a lot of promotion on that album. There's a lot of MTV footage, um, full live concerts, Mm -hmm. that are out there, lots of interviews, um, and they yeah look like cartoon characters playing this fairly serious, heavy pop music mm -hmm. um, that, uh, you know, by the time the the tour for Spilt Milk and the look for Spilt Milk came around, the, all the, the hippie-ish costume type stuff was gone, uh, and it was just a straight-ahead look. It was probably too late, you know, they they, they were the once the, the hippie jokesters. Yep. Um, the, the, the seriousness of, of spilt milk, uh, it was to the detriment, that, that initial image. And especially, as I said, with, with you know, grunge and dressing down and right. 
um, and flannel, really the, the polar opposite, that they just didn't grab a hold of enough fans at the time, unfortunately. And as, as we'll discuss, no doubt, um, over the course of uh, the spilt milk part of the show, is that even though the music was fairly sunshiny, um, as you've already gone and alluded to, there was some fairly dark subject matter. Oh, and, completely. And yet, I guess, maybe like if, if Nirvana was doing its dark subject matter and aimed towards you know the teenagers and uh, the early 20s, I guess a lot of the stuff that appears on uh, this album would be more for a grown-up audience. So yeah, maybe they maybe it's hard to sort of target who were their audience. I mean, okay, obviously, you know, us as big music fans say it shouldn't be limited to you know one age group. But if you're trying to sell an album, then record company uh, dogma dictates that you're going to be aiming at a particular age group or particular uh, group in oh. society who's. Who are you going to sell this to? Who's going to buy That's these it. albums? And um, I see it just doing covers. Like I said earlier, I've been doing it 20 years and still getting requested the same songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, you certainly don't get to go and dive into your, your CD collection and, and play your favourite songs on a stage. There's a, a real, you know, general population has got this way of listening to it. Yeah. And us musicophiles, shall we say, have, have yeah, got the broader taste. and Yes. And, and greater interest and, and seek out, uh, you know, the more complex things like what Jellyfish did on their, their two albums. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's something that I like about um, uh, what Eric Reanimated does with his segments on this show is that he says, right, okay, if you like what uh, Morrison, whoever else was talking on that show, is talking about, let me recommend something a little bit out of Just the way. Just off the beaten track, yeah. But will appeal to you if you like the uh, the main album under discussion and yes. really i think maybe you know that that should be a good thing that you should do reese is uh, if, if the next time someone comes and says to you uh hey mate can you uh can you play me an oil song and you say <laughs> right okay i'll play beds are burning for you but you know i'll, I'll also go and play you go uh, and listen to bird noises <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly okay uh, well they might know but i'll play you an oil song but then You've got to hear a Saints song or something like yes, that. You know, just yes. Point them, point them uh, you know, somewhere a little bit different. That's pretty pretty hard to go somewhere from Jesse's Girl, though. That's the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you get that? I do love that song, though. I, <laughs> I, it's a guilty pleasure. I love the guitar solo and love playing the guitar solo in that song. So oh, look, I'll play it. that song any any time coming up and ask. Oh, look, the, for the thing it. is, Reese, I'm old enough to remember when that song was big in the top 40 and seeing that film clip way too many times on camera. Yes. Well, I've, I've got it on the, I think, Chipmunk Rock vinyl album that I had when I was oh three God. or four. So that, that was my that introduction to that song. Oh, Chipmunk Rock. Oh, my goodness. Just one more thing I sort of wanted to discuss before we go to a break and then talk about the album in um, in general is, okay, so we've we've already sort of gone and used the, um, the, the tag for this as power pop to describe jellyfish. And it's, it's, easy to do that due to the strong melodic nature and the soaring harmonies and you know the ballsy nature of the songs but yet i I think in some ways the description doesn't really tell the full story because when you think of power pop i mean you think of like uh, the early precursors like uh you know bad fingers and the raspberries and big stars and even the later albums or the later groups uh you know like uh, velvet crush which uh my good 
friend and, and uh, podcasting compatriot, Wendy Freeman, went and put me onto yeah, Velvet Crush, and I love them. And uh, also, as we've spoken about on the podcast before, Matthew Sweet, and yes, they sort of, of fit that whole power poppy thing with the va- the, the vocal harmonies and um, the, the uh, crushing guitars. And yet, there seems to be something a whole lot more complex going on here. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. we, we've already sort of discussed off air that these songs are... They're complex and they're not. The complex, there's complexities within the vocal harmonies, and they do go to some unusual chord progressions. Not necessarily complex chords yeah, in terms I'd of the playing, and yet they go to un, unexpected places, which is not what you'd necessarily say. That, that there's something more going on than just the power pop thing of you know a few chords and soaring vocal harmonies i don't know where do you as a working musician and as someone who's probably attempted to play these songs where do you see that agree wholeheartedly i'd call them the steely dan of power pop uh, (laughs) where they really see you've got you've got andy and roger it's basically andy and roger's band um jason faulkner the reason he left was he was essentially being treated as a, a studio and touring musician um, and it's the he's, George Harrison of the group. Yes, he's he's had a fantastic collection of solo albums that, that he's put out in his own right, and he just couldn't get any songs into the album. And I, I think it was made fairly clear to him that that no, we'll be writing the songs in this band. So he said, "Fine, see you later." Yep. Um, and and then they just did work with studio musicians on Spilt Milk. Power Pop um, for me really falls into you've got the indie style Power Pop. Um, one of my favourite power pop albums is um, a, a Liquor Giants album. Have you heard of heard of them? It was Wade Dodson was out of um, Gun Club, uh, I, look, which you know what? I mentioned I, earlier. I didn't actually ever listen to them, but I remember that he came out. Um, he is still using the Liquor Giants moniker yes. and used the ice cream hands as his. That was it. Band. Yep, mm. certainly did. Yeah, um, I remember. Yeah, hearing an interview on Triple R with him that that got me interested. Um, and grabbed that CD as soon as I could find it, and it was a fantastic one. So you've got that kind of indie-sounding power pop, and then you've, you've sort of got, yeah, the raspberries and the cheap trick mm, um, mm. style. Um, I mean, you could even fit Queen into that category a bit. It just depends what your, your label for the genre is. For me, it's it's pop with hard guitars and, and the vocals of pop music, which is more harmony-driven than, than a standard rock song mm, mm. is. I, I guess because there's you know, there's a couple of moments here where they do unusual time signatures and uh, unusual song structures. I mean, look, we'll we'll come to that. Well, I tell you what, what we should do now is have a break because I think I think we're both chomping at the bit to sort of think <laughs> about specific songs <laughs> and, and the structures. So, oh, it's it's like we want to talk about the film and yet we're not talking about the anyway. Let okay, we'll go to a break and um, go have a glass of water and then uh, we have a lot of jellyfish talk, uh, in particular spilt milk. So uh, you're listening to Love That Album, uh, Reese in Ringwood? Uh, out in Baronia. Out in Baronia. Reese in Foothills Baronia. of uh, the Dandenongs. Oh, there you go. Uh, well, we're both in Melbourne, uh, which, <laughs> which, is nice, which is nice for a change. Although, mind you, we're still having to do this over Skype. <sighs> anyway, look, we'll be back shortly to um, talk about Spilt Milk. You're listening to Love That Album. Hey. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Bitch, something big good's coming up. This is Terry Frost, and I want to tell you about my new podcast, The Martian Driving. 
In the podcast, me and a guest will look at obscure but interesting speculative fiction movies. The ones that don't get enough love. The obscure movies that you catch late at night you can't remember the name of but you really like them. You can go to marsdrivein.blogspot.com or subscribe to the Paleo Cinema feed in iTunes. The Martian Drive-In Podcast. Watching the skies since 2012. Hi, I'm John Water. Hi, this is Dolph Lundgren. Hi, I'm Lance Henriksen. Hi, this is Keith Gordon. Robert Pune. Miguel Ferrer. Nancy Allen. Robert Davi. Richard Elfman. Ileana Douglas. Patrick Warburton. Dwayne Hauser. Cliff DeYoung. Steve Railsbeck. Mr. D. William Cass. If you haven't been listening to the Projection Booth podcast, you're missing out. Each week, the Projection Booth brings you in-depth discussions of some of the most interesting movies ever made. I'm Mike White. No, the other one. I'm the guy who wrote the film fanzine Cashiers to Cinemart since 1994. Since early 2011, I've been co-hosting the Projection Booth podcast. Try us, won't you? I never try anything. I just do it. Visit the Projection Booth at projection-booth.com. from break Morris over here Reese over there and we're talking Jellyfish's second album from 1993 called Spilt Milk this was their follow up to their album Belly Button which oh, was it 1991 1990 yeah yeah um, so this album certainly was in terms of arrangement in terms of instrumentation was uh certainly light years i mean melodically they um they were still maybe in similar territory but in terms of what they actually did with their music was uh this up was sonically uh a huge advancement on um on their, their early album their earlier album certainly we were speaking before about what constitutes power pop and certainly i'd say that uh, belly button fits into that category but they were certainly going for uh, some really adventurous things a lot yeah. this time. Yeah, I, I, I see Belly Button's the guitar album. Yep. And this one's more the yeah the keyboard and the the production album. Mm. And you yeah. see in the uh, the the sort of fold out of the the uh, CD, there's this studio just littered with with every instrument you could <laughs> think of really. Oh, they um, were the kids in the lolly shop, weren't they? They sure were. They they took six months to record it as well, which is. That's a fair chunk of time. Normally, albums get knocked out sort of three weeks, three week recording session, and then mixing, mastering from that point on. Um, but yeah, there's, they just created and created and kept going and kept going. They'd probably still be there today if they didn't have to <laughs> to get an album out. I think you had to know when do we stop? When do we yes. stop? Um, okay, so let's. Uh, so oh, I can't remember if I've mentioned this uh, on air before, but um, we're going to do things uh, for this episode. Uh, pretty much like how I used to do for the show. I mean, in, in recent episodes of this year, we've uh, been talking about the album as a whole and referring to specific songs uh, to make specific points about how the album as a whole sounded. Uh, we used to do the show talking 
song by song. And I think that uh, Reese and I sort of agreed in advance that this album sort of warranted the song by song treatment. So that's how we're going to do. So let's um, start talking about the opening cut on the album. This is called Hush. So this album has its cinematic moments, and it all starts here. This is the lullaby that's um, supposed to start off the album, and a night filled with blissful dreams. This is the song with the blissful Beach Boys harmonies, and I've got to say, a a better control of vocal dynamic that you will not find anywhere. and as- you, you, it really just sets you into the world, doesn't it? You're you're in the spilt milk world as soon as you you hit that first track. Right, right. There's something that's very Disney-esque about um, about this lullaby, and yet possibly I'm saying this knowing what's to come. But really, listening to it in in hindsight, there's something that's mildly sinister, or at least mysterious, that's presented here. Uh, the single note string section ascension and and that is it a celeste yeah it'd be something like it yeah a keyboard instrument well that's supposed to simulate a a celeste um that is played over it it has that disney magic spell feel to it but it's just the big timpanies as well that 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 come in yeah well that's uh that leads in from that instrumental opening to the um uh, uh to the vocal harmonies and we get that line, go to sleep and hush, little darling. That's in contrast to what's come before it. And it sort of, it puts you in mind of there's a monster under the bed. Uh, and we're definitely going to be getting that as, um, as the song goes over. And, and the vocals here bring to mind uh, the Beach Boys album, which took many years for us to get. Of course, we always heard it on bootleg which was Smile, and it sort of yeah. brings to mind our prayer. But- yeah, absolutely. Um, Andy, just in research for, for the episode, mm-hmm. um, there's a really good interview on YouTube, and Andy notes that, yeah, the Smile bootleg was something that everyone should own. So right. ab- absolutely lifted um, from there. But as much as they their influences are fairly clear as you, you listen to the album. The way they do it, they, they take it to another level. Um, because there's a whole lot more going on in here than just Beach Boys, but yes. we'll, we'll come across all that. The, the other contrast I wanted to make and see what you think about this, because uh, I've already got to mention Our Prayer, but like Our Prayer is a minor key tune, but is fairly reverential, and it, you never feel a sense of uh, nastiness or something yeah, dark fa- that's fairly lush. Come. And yet, this song here, Hush, it ha- it has that major key feel, 
but you can't quite shake that there's something not right. There's something bad that's about to come. I mean, the, maybe that's me the saying the creepiness, because, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I love that. I love that contrast. A lot of what we speak about on the show, and it's going to be really all over this album, are major key songs that that really have a, a, a nasty lyrical undertone. And yet he's even gone and done it with the music here. The, the, the Celeste in the beginning and those those uh, vocal harmonies, which are major key but still sound a little bit melancholy. I don't know. Do you get that yes. impression? Yeah, just the way that they're, they're delivered. Um, probably the range that they're delivered in. The Beach mm. Boys' prayer is sort of a little bit higher in the range where these are right under underneath. But you've just got those two incredible voices. Like Obviously, Andy's lead singing um, dominates most of the album, but um, it's Roger's voice that's on the, the demo. Okay. really interesting, um, as we'll probably talk about during this as well. Spilt Milk's about to, to be reissued um, with a whole heap of, of demos and, right. and live stuff. Yeah, um, so, someone went and put that on the, on the Love That Album Facebook page a couple of days ago. There's like a little YouTube film clip. And I thought, right, here, take my money now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, definitely worthwhile getting um, because uh, there was a box set released in the, the uh, 2000s Yep, uh, that had all, over the two albums, uh, they dedicated uh, two CDs to each album, one CD of demos, one CD of live. Mm. Um, and so you've got all the demos of, of Spilt Milk there and that'll be coming out on the, the reissue. Um right. And yeah, Roger's absolutely amazing lead vocal um, that's on the demo that uh, Andy did on the on the eventual album release. Right. It's it's interesting because it, it, with with uh, all these great voices in the one group, and yet there, there doesn't seem to be uh, much of a democracy in terms of uh, who yeah. gets lead vocals. Where really is. Um, apart from, I think, one song on this album, it really does, it, it is Andy's, the Andy show in terms of lead vocals. Correct. Um, okay. So uh, we should probably sort of say one other thing about um, about the group. There's not so much about the song here, but if you haven't actually seen any uh, video footage of um, of Jellyfish, there's something a little bit unusual. Okay, so Andy Sturmer is their drum player, but Please, uh, Reese, give the uh, listening audience a little bit of a spiel about um, what Andy does. That's a bit so, different to the normal, <laughs> the normal uh, lead singer drummer. So yeah, not o- not often your drummer is is your front guy. Um, so he literally moved his drum kit to the front and stands up. Yep, and plays, which you just have to see to be believed. Um, what it, what he does standing and playing. Um, also, just the physical nature of it, he, he would have had to spend half his night sort of leaning over uh, on, a, on, on a kick drum mm. to, to make it function. So the actual, it's, it's hard actual stuff. physical physicality of, of doing that, leaning on your side and delivering the vocals that he, he could pull off live as well. Like everything you hear in the studio, he could reproduce on, that, the, on the stage. That's absolutely amazing because, I mean, you, if you... Cause, it's not just an instrument that you're using with your hands, obviously. With that footwork, you know, your hi-hat and your, and your kick drum uh, to try to find that balance and play as adeptly as he does and do those lead vocals. It's just... Yeah. It's, it's incredible. We're not talking about like the sort of thing that uh, Slim Jim 
from uh, the Stray Cats or what Paul Hester would occasionally do. No, this is a full it. kit. This is a full kit. It's not just a snare drum. Yeah, uh, check out, uh, we talked about the, the single off belly button, The King is Half Undressed. Mm. Check out playing that live. <laughs> oh, that, that's just insane. Absolutely yes. insane. It, it's um, an incredible uh, drum pattern that he employs there. Even if you were sitting down, it would be it'd be amazing. But the fact that he's standing up, so and the, delivers still with with power as well. That kick is pretty all powerful. Um, that you'd think from a standing up position would be very difficult to do, but mm. he he certainly still hits those those drums. Well, yeah, it, it's it's, uh, it's something to behold. So um, yeah, check that out on YouTube if you um if you don't know that song, we're not going to be playing it as part of this show because that's on the uh, Belly Button album. Although to be absolutely honest with you, I always thought it was a song that fitted. Uh, it's a song that fitted the spilt milk. Yeah, I would have thought yeah. it would have worked. It's got the elaborate arrangement yeah. to it that would certainly find a home on spilt milk. All right, so let's um, move on to the next song. We go so hush. I love this thing where we go from a quiet opening intro to something that's completely raucous. The whole band comes in and that this really fits the bill. Let's talk about the second song on the album. This is Joining a Fan Club. So we've already mentioned about um, you know, Queen being uh, a band which Jolly Fish is compared to, and I definitely see this song would be the one that you'd say, right, here's an example. That's it. This is the one you play to a Queen fan, that's for sure. Right. Uh, it has the Queen harmonies, as I've already mentioned, as opposed to the Beach Boys harmony, a different dynamic to what's going on. There's, um, there's still a sense of soft, loud, soft, but it's... Look, I don't think I have the technical prowess to be able to say why it's different, but maybe you shouldn't have to uh, articulate that. No, it's uh, that guitar tone as well is very Brian May, and that yeah. riff, that that piano sound is that sort of compressed piano sound is that's really a Queen late seventies sound as well. Right, um, it, like the Killer Queen type piano sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. If oh, anyone's it, trying to, well, this song it would. When you talk about Queen, you, you make the comparison. We're talking about uh, mid-70s Queen. Yes. You know, anything, you know, Night at the Opera, Day at the Races, uh, News of the World. We're not, we're not talking about where, like from where they sort of started bringing synth. We're in. talking classic, yeah. We're talking classic era Queen for sure. Um, and, and look, truth be known, this song, Joining a Fan Club, we could probably do a whole podcast on this song alone there's absolutely (laughs) so much going on here uh it really does get complex in terms of the structure here but to the average ear the genius is it doesn't sound complex it's only when you know what you're listening to it's only when i I sat down and i did 
sit down and start figuring out how to play this song. Mm. Um, there's, there's a key change at the end that you just never know. It's just so seamlessly put together and written. Well, not just at the end. You've got key changes going between the verses and, 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 the, and the chorus. Absolutely. That, that little riff changes as well. That riff actually wasn't on the demo. Oh, really? As well. That, um, so you got that. That's, that's just awesome. Oh, so <laughs> for a guitar you're the, player. You're the first person ever on this podcast to be playing musical examples. Please keep doing that. Through yeah, the sure. <laughs> Anytime. This is going to be the best, the best episode ever, I think. The greatest episode of all time. Oh, shucks. <laughs> <laughs> we're here, we're talking about music, and you can give examples. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, um, so they just add a little bit to it the next time and slightly change the ending. So they got the... <laughs> So a bit more major the second yes. time, a, a little less sinister as what they're doing. Right. In terms of the other instruments as well, the bass in this song is just amazing and there's, there's so much going on in the song itself. Right. It could easily get lost, but it's it's real McCartney-style bass playing. Um, I believe. Melody, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that uh, who they, they got to tour with them on the, the Spilt Milk tour, Tim Smith. Um, I'm pretty sure he's the one who's playing bass on most of the album. Yes, uh, yes, he, he he was the uh, the new member for um for this album, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, whereas we said Jason Faulkner probably we're thinking did most of the bass playing on on Belly Button. Um, but yeah, uh, they released recently. Same company who's going to bring out the the reissues of the two studio albums. They released uh, stacks of tracks. Uh, style any Beach Boys fans um, so that's all instrumentals it's yeah just the t- stripping you know the vocals out and just the instrumental and yeah that that's when I first noticed holy cow listen to that bass <laughs> and listen <laughs> to that amazing like uh, melodic bass work that's on there so it, it'd be interesting to see if then they go do like what they did for Pet Sounds and just release the vocals so you could have oh that would be <laughs> incredible so as well w- when you think about it really Jellyfish are two bands aren't they Yes, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with, with that. The amazing thing, as will become apparent in many of these songs, is the lyrical content. And it's got so much going on layer-wise here. I mean, we've already gone and said that you know, there's so many little bits and snippets going on in here musically with your, your key changes, uh, adding little riffs uh, the second time you play a motif. Um, but there's a lot going on here lyrically, and there are themes on this album that's explored across the album, which starts here. Uh, some of the themes on the album are infidelity, depression, disappointment, the church, um, and what we'll get to on the next song, that first unrequited crush. Um, yes. But um, on this song, uh, fandom and the church. I think I- it's... It's the whole um, bigger than Jesus debate, right. I think, the rock star worship uh, ideal. Definitely. But I, I think Andy Sturmer, unlike um, John Lennon, who said, um, uh, we've become bigger than Jesus now, and then had to sort of apologize for it. I don't think Andy Sturmer, given the, the vitriol that he uh, heaps upon the church, yes. uh, he, he's not apologizing <laughs> right throughout for anything. the album, yeah, yeah. Um, but just even that, the thing that, uh, this was the first Jellyfish album I listened to, only two, obviously. Yeah. Um, I bought them off eBay, not hearing a note uh, of them. I'd just seen them in um, just music forum posts absolutely everywhere. It was 
jellyfish, jellyfish with the kind of bands that, that I was interested in and listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as, yeah, that, that first line, she turned the light, night light on and blew him a kiss. He stared back through his green Crayola eyes. It's like, oh, wow, this is, this is another world altogether. That, that and the green next, even, Crayola eyes, that's such, that's such a great description, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And the next line, um, she traced his likeness from off the back of the disc. That's a kiss reference. I know that's a kiss reference. Oh. Um, kiss released... Uh, a greatest hits album in the 70s yes. uh, called Double Platinum. And on the, the inside gatefold was sort of their faces and photos. And apparently what kids were doing was tracing their, their faces um, without the makeup to try and figure out what they actually look like. Because, of oh, course, okay. no one had any photos. Um, so I heard that three lines into the song. Oh, there's a Kiss reference. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, you already won over. So I've got the riff, I've got the, the Kiss reference, and it's like uh, I've got the Queen piano sounds, the, the amazing... Beach Boys vocal first track. It's like, oh, this is my favorite band of all time. All of a sudden, <laughs> they're taking heaven. all my favorite bands and there they are in the first 20 seconds of, of a song. The other thing that this song brings up is uh, the contrast in the generation gap. So, like, you know, as parents, uh, it can be all too easy. And I have to say for us, because, well, you know, we're parents. I'm, I'm the parents of two teenagers now. Uh, where we can, you know, they have their way of looking at things, we have our way of looking at things, and we can be often too dismissive and say, well, well we know better, and the kids say, no, we know better. And what Andy Sturmer, he's on the side of the kids here. So on, yeah. on, the, on the first verse, he's talking about you know this idol worship um, on behalf of a teenager, and she's gone and traces likeness from the back of the disc. But you've gone, um, he's going to do the, the whole generation gap contrast and the diss on on uh, the church in one foul swoop. So he, sings, he sings, Mum's writing checks to the minister in the corner, singing Dig Down Deep, because if you want to go to heaven, all you got to do is pay to pray. So that, That's straight from the, the television evangelist, the Jim Baker thing. Which was the, the, time big, too. the big story of the time, absolutely. So it was, it was topical. Um, it was he just had it all handed to him on the collection plate, as it were. Absolutely, I love that nice little touch of the layered harmonies at that line um, where where he sings. All you got to do is pay to pray, and I, I think I mentioned that in the first part. Pay, pay, pray, and, but it's there, all there is the, Queen, yeah, all in the recording. Absolutely, that's very Queen. Very well, that's it. Like, uh, I mean, it's so frustrating that that these guys didn't make it. Uh, like the, this album itself only made it to 164 on the. The Billboard chart, yet the the year before, Bohemian Rhapsody had made such a big comeback with Wayne's World. Yeah, but it, the, the it, difference it is prom- that that was um that was more uh, walking down memory lane. Yes, uh, but still I, went up to you know got back on the singles chart, went up to number two mm. on the the Billboard chart again. That you know he's something of a, a similar ilk. So so tell me, do you, uh, do you know if um if Jellyfish ever had their any of their songs in a film or a TV show? <laughs> Yeah, um, one one that's on this album definitely was on a soundtrack. Uh, that will, yeah. Uh, uh, Are we going to get to it? Oh, yes, we'll get to it. Yeah, he's he's my best friend that comes up later. Was oh. on a soundtrack, but I think just after they'd broken up, it it ended up on a, a film soundtrack. Not I, I couldn't name the film uh, off the top of my head, but right. that was definitely made it to one. Uh, and I think one of the songs off Jellyfish, uh, sorry, oh, off uh, Belly Button, uh, made it on as well. Might have been Calling Sarah. Uh, made okay. it to a soundtrack. What but yeah, what a soundtrack song. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, there's there's a whole movie in not just this song, but I think we'll say that quite a few times about a, about lot. a lot of tracks on the album. Well, the these songs, they're story songs. One thing that I 
don't think I had mentioned, uh, but I think it's quite important to like. Well, I was because we already gone and said that hush was this lullaby with telling your child go to sleep, little darling. But what actually happens? We do not have a fitful night's sleep. The rest of this record, even though they're sunny pop melodies for the most part, um, this record is a nightmare. But we're not talking about a nightmare of. It's not the, the Alice that, Cooper. Welcome to my nightmare. It's yeah, correct. These are these are um, domestic grown-up nightmares. All these songs, well, with the possible exception of uh, "He's My Best Friend" that you already mentioned, um, <laughs> most of these songs are dark in tone. They're they're an adult's nightmare. They're not. You know, this is not Nightmare on Elm Street. There's not Freddy Krueger coming to cut you up. These yeah, it's, just it's, every it's very grown up domestic, yes. which possibly explains why you know uh, Nirvana were able to succeed because if they were the audience that were buying records rather than the grown ups thinking, I well, I don't need to buy another Queen album because I've got all the Queen albums, um, and yet they were yes, missing out on something special. Yes. All right. Look, let's um let's move on to uh, the third song on the album. This is uh, Sabina, Paste and Plato. Far behind the forest of flying paper airplanes Grazing on the grounds of ponytails The substitute is counting down her ticks till recess Hammering down to size her fingernails Because today, today, Sabrina built her box sandwiches and chips for all the shoulders Lunch is on the table, soon dessert is on the floor First thing off the bat, when I first heard this, I thought of Smile era Beach Boys. It's definitely got that influence, but certainly not anything from you know the Beach Cars and Girls era. You know, it, no, it, definitely not. Um, all this experimentation—it's got millions of ideas. Um, I'm trying to think of the song. Uh, it's even it's, a little. They go a little further along. The a lot of the early '70s. Beach Boys sounds is what I start to think of the Sunflower kind of era. Well, I mean, uh, why I specifically think of Smile is because it, it has that circus vibe feel to it. And yeah, there, and it's quite childlike that. too. Right, right. Um, and I, I mentioned that you know, Hush was a gateway to nightmares, as you know, we just gone spoken about, and Sweetness disguising something much darker in in a, a portal to disturbing dreams yes. and um this this is really something to do with that we get this song which sounds very sesame street we've got those uh, uh we've got those uh you know dump 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 those, those very cro- sergeant peppers i reckon too very sort of that era um, okay. yeah I, can Beatles. Th- I, hadn't, I hadn't thought of that so you've yeah, got i the, mean they, they started out with that they were going to write a, a childhood type album Mm. Um, with Sergeant Peppers, of course, with Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane. Um, but yeah, this is one moment. Not often in here you go, oh yeah, that's a a real Beatles influence. That was sort of more the Belly Button album. There's a lot more Beatles on that than than this one. I think this one's definitely more Beach Boys Queen. Yeah, I was said. But this one, I feel there's probably that drum groove as well is uh, a little more Beatley. Um, very. Very Queen Roger Taylor kind right. of feel, I think, too, in, in that drum sort of pattern. I can imagine, well, sort of like with that, um, with that uh, piano motif that he goes through, I can sort of see uh, Paul McCartney writing something like that. 
and probably the way the bass once again comes in mm. um, when the band kicks in. And okay, so we got this childlike Sesame Street song, uh, well, musically, and yet where the darkness comes in is uh, well, we said that this is about unrequited, an unrequited crush, but you have these. Uh, so it's partly told from the perspective of um, of uh, you know a boy who has. Um, who, who has a crush on uh, this girl in his class, and yet you get these uh, uh, these great oh, lyrics. characters, yeah. Uh, yeah, the substitute is counting down the ticks the, the, till the recess. The alcoholic teachers. <laughs> oh, you can just imagine she's going to the staff room five minutes later and is you know, loading her coffee with, with a shot of whiskey or something. Yep, yep. It's, it's, all, it's all the description. It's, it's just fantastic lyrics. Yeah, it's that that whole Steely Dan sophistication as well. It's not just in the music; it's it's in the lyrical content Actually, as well. See, I've got a note written here. This is something that only occurred to me last week. The description I've given this is um, uh, the Beach Boys meets Roald Dahl. Yes, uh, it's a great sort of uh, childlike story, but there's something very dark here that the parents are saying to the kids, never you mind. It's an this undercurrent, is, yes. This, not, <laughs> this bit's not for you. Absolutely, yeah, like the the, the sort of Disney cartoon movies that the, that the adults can enjoy. Well, I mean, but well. when you think, uh, think about this, a, a lot of those, a lot of old nursery rhymes, they've got a really nasty undertone. Yeah, we, yeah. We, sing, <laughs> we sing a tissue, a tissue, we all fall down, but we know it's not just really a child's nursery parlour game. It's... Yes. Um, the, the Black Plague, and, and really this song, it's, it's not quite as dark as that, but, um, but it, it's sort of, uh, you know, it's giving a bit of a wink uh, and a nod to the adult who's listening to this. This is not a childhood song. Yep, I agree. <laughs> Just looking over the, the lyrics now, and mm. it, uh, I, I think that's the thing with this album as well. Uh, obviously listened to it uh, fairly intensely the last couple of weeks, Yes, and you just keep finding things every time. Right. Uh, whether it's lyrics, whether it's a little instrument that it, that's in there that you've never noticed before, mm-hmm. um, but just those those sort of call and response lyrics uh, yes. are just incredible to read, and they're just little little background lyrics. And uh, well, I also like um, how we hear things from um, from the heads of of uh, the characters. It's not you're not looking into this as the third person. You're you're in the heads of your characters. So, you know, the yes. um, the boy who's singing, so serene, Sabrina makes me feel so serene. And you can just sort of get the impression of what this kid looks like. And he's just sort of staring at her across the class, this sort of awkward, clunky sort of kid. Uh, I just think that's uh, uh, just, yeah, it's just really cleverly done. And at the end of the first time that that's run, you get this very unserene guitar outro before we go yep. back to the chorus. It's, that that sort of nasty dark type of thing just to wake you up before coming back to yeah uh, once again that real melody. real gnarly queen guitar tone mm, mm. as well right on it all right uh, let's um, delve into the next part of the nightmare and uh, the next song of the album this is new mistake. <laughs> Never mind 
Now this is a song I have a personal uh, connection to because I've gone and arranged this for my a cappella group. We've never quite gotten it right and I'm hoping that one day we will. But um, yeah, this is a song I really, really love. And well, I mean, I love them all, having said that. But um, this song brings to mind, uh, we mentioned XTC before. This is, to me, non-such era XTC, I think. Yeah, it's got that real classical... Typical, yeah, classic pop sort of chord structure to it. That and, and that album is really XTC's pop album, I think. Yes. Uh, non, non-such. Uh, um, the Mayor of Simpleton, that's that's on that one, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I, think so. I only casually sort of listen to XTC, yeah. so I'm oh, not no, totally intimate with the catalogue. But so no, that's that's their that's their pop album. That's definitely one that um, you should be uh, you should be following up. I mean, I know some of their. Uh, well, I, I'm a big fan of uh, most of most of their output, but if you're like a, a power pop fan, that really is an album. Yeah, and that's how I came to them as well. Being sort of, as I said, found Jellyfish through internet music forums mm. um and same deal with with checking out xtc was the same reason that it's it's come up on power pop uh forums and yep. and uh lists mm. we've already you've already gone and made mention of the inner gate sleeve cover where you see the studio that's filled with instruments and this is a song where that sort of thing gets started where we get well, it, it's a it's an album of cameo musical appearance appearances appearances um we what's amazing is how effectively they use this wide variety of instruments uh they just will crop up for like a few seconds here a few seconds there but it never sort of feels like oh we've got it we're going to use it i mean maybe that was the it's thing. never forced yeah correct yeah yeah so on this song we get castanets we get uh, a brief stab of a horn section, which almost sounds mariachi to me. Uh, we get chimes, which have a, a bit of a church chime feel. Sparse use, but effective of a string section. Uh, we get a harp, and as well as the vocal harmonies and, and the old favourite, hand claps. And the, the George Harrison slide guitar type solo as well is just a, a favourite. Uh, There's not a lot of guitar solos on, on this album, but... Um... You're, yeah, that one's that's completely correct. That great. is a very George Harrison guitar solo, isn't it? Yeah, uh, they, 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 they. I mean, they take their influences and and just use them at the right time. Is uh, what right, it is. But I think in lesser hands, this um, the, the song's arrangement could have been absolutely disastrous. But we haven't actually gone and mentioned about how brilliant was it. Jack Pugh, who's um, the producer yes. or the engineer on this album. Um, yeah, they, they essentially uh, between Albie Gluten, who produced the. The first album and also did the the disco era bg's stuff so a fair track record <laughs> behind him and as a mad inventor I, I looked up on um the internet who this person was yes and is also an electronics genius wow so a pretty talented guy um uh yeah but the, all four of them albie jj puig uh and andy and roger are accredited essentially with the the production role mm. so i think it was all hands on deck yes in that sense also the waltz time signature of this song really gives it a very playful sound and yeah. once again we're getting this major key song with what's another sort of like lyrically dark song you know a very poetic song about uh being lured to someone for casual sex <laughs> than you know falling unexpectedly pregnant uh, he knew better uh, that perfume was gravity pulling him closer to what could be tragedy 
just oh. incredible, isn't it? <laughs> well, the, the guy, he could have been an author. You know, it, it's it's um, it, Stur- it's Sturmer writing the lyrics, isn't it? Uh, yeah, you'd think so. Oh, God. It com- comes across as is his hearing him in interviews and things like that. It certainly comes across that he was the, the lyric end most of the time. I look forward to the day he says, look, you know, I'm going to release my first book because really he'd have something very special in there. That's, is, that's, uh, he's a, you know, a musician's musician, a singer's singer, and a lyricist's lyricist, you know, just... He's, yeah, it reads know, off as great poetry. Absolutely. Uh, Baptise the baby in whiskey and licorice is just... Mm. So, just yeah, so once again, having another gig at the church. Such turns of phrase. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, you've got to think, you've got to wonder, like, to me, this would scream first single um you know we're talking about well the album just didn't get out there and make it you got to wonder if the waltz time once again the record company's just gone oh there's this waltz time thing what do we do with it it did come out as a single right right Um, was this because i think the first single i bought back in the day hearing on triple r they played ghost at number one and that that was was, uh, yep that was a single that i bought that was the lead off yeah uh, which i to be honest with you i wouldn't have thought was a um was it was a, a, a choice for a single, a great, no. a great album song, but not a great yeah. choice for a single. Yeah, and in 1993 as well, like no. <laughs> <laughs> not noisy enough. But yeah, this this one to me should have been it. You, you would have thought this got would have got radio play. No, for sure, it's 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 comically bleak, um, and if you if you want to sort of admire the dark side of it you can but if you just sort of want to go for this, it's it's like a roundabout. Things like you're on a, a carnival roundabout. Yes, and um, that you know you can just take it from that perspective, and it's just absolutely perfect in that uh, in that regard. And and really, the horrible fate of this unplanned child is you know she we get this epilogue at the end. She grows up to <gasps> marry a pop singer. Oh, that that outro has to be has to be the greatest last verse or last stanza, and the greatest outro almost of all time with that that super tramp type keys sound and the the vocal just layering and layering and more parts coming in and also you don't terribly get that many story songs that say here's what happened 20 years later it's like here's a story yeah. happened within this period of time there's the end of the story but I, I like i think it's very very clever and it's also um it it really has that epilogue feel not just because it's, here's what happened 20 years later in the story but also musically um they don't go verse chorus verse chorus they have this verse and then this really sort of unusual outro. This whole new song that yeah. could go, it could go on forever. <laughs> it's uh, no, it's absolutely so clever. You listeners out there who haven't heard this album, you might get the impression that we actually really love this record, but um, hence that's why we call the name of this podcast. And just that last line, um, her first mistake was growing up and marrying a pop singer. That absolutely screams to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, oh no! You've married a muso. How, it's it's, how it's tragic. You? Yeah, and yet it's funny all at once. Yeah. All right. Let's um. Let's move on to uh, the next song on the album. The next part of this nightmare. Uh, this is called Glutton of Sympathy. In the breathless hush of four a.m. In the darks, it's a sad cliche. Cloaked in the navy blue. Of slowly fading stars Tell me how this came to be Sleeplessness talk to me She'd say over and over Again Fumbling through a cut Okay, so 
only on an album as otherwise brilliant as Spilt Milk could a song like this be what I would call the uh, like a weak link. Um, it's don't get me wrong. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, wonderful song. There's so much about it that I'm going to say that I love about it. But yet everything else is so perfect that this and one other song that we'll get to that I sort of see. Well, it's it's merely great, not not sublime. There you go. I'm I'm about to say this is probably my favourite song on the album. Oh, <laughs> so I'm going to shut up. That's no. re- okay. That's no, really you, you have the floor. Interesting. Go on. Go, go on. You have the floor. Tell us about it from your uh, perspective. I mean, it's it's just a, a for me. It just a, they nailed a ballad. Uh, on on belly button, they had "I Want to Stay Home," which I hate that song. That's the only song in the 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 Jellyfish catalog that I just go no. It's just a bit too AOR for me. Yep. Um, maybe just because that acoustic guitar intro, like simple simple chords mm. as well. Like yeah, yeah, absolute basic of basic. Everyone learns a. A G chord first up. Yes. Just all those classic first sort of country chords that you learn. Uh, and just, I think the vocal all the way through as well just said, like, he just sails it, it at is, the end it, of that it song. It is very heartfelt. It is very heartfelt. Oh. And it's, um, it, 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 it's, gosh, what am I trying to say? But it's certainly the most, yeah, straight ahead song in comparison to to uh, the, the mass production that's on the rest of the album. You've got some nice horns that come in in the bridge, but it's it's a lot more straight-ahead rock band um, production. Which, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if it's because it's so straight-ahead and everything else sort of sounds like they've spent um, you know, hours and hours. Or we'll put in a bit of this. It's like this is the scrambled eggs compared yep. to the sumptuous meal that is... Yes. ...the rest of the album. And so I, I had to be careful in what I said there because... I once again, if, if it were on if it were on um, uh, belly button, say, I would say right, it's it's another highlight on an album, but it, it just maybe doesn't sort of challenge. Also, as you've much just come off Hush, joining a fan club, Sabrina, new mistake. Just every song is like, oh my god, oh my <laughs> god. It's on a on a first listen. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, you could come to this one and go, oh, okay, well, this is not quite like the others. Yep, it's just merely a great pop song, which yeah. is, um, which you know anyone else. Would, look, I, I, I'll, I'll say anyone else could kill to have a ballad as beautiful as this. It's just in comparison to really what's come before. Um, and, I mean, you know, the, musically, okay. So you've already gone and mentioned the comparison. I think elsewhere to Cheap Trick. This sounds like a Cheap Trick ballad. Uh, yes, certainly could see that. I've, I've also gone and thought about this, and I don't know why. But it sort of sounds to me. We already mentioned Wings before. This sounds like Red Rose Speedway era Wings. Yeah, which I, I grew up with that vinyl and absolutely loved that vinyl. Yeah. Um, which yeah isn't isn't a, a band on the run or a Venus and Mars no. type achievement. Uh, but it's well, it's got my love on oh, there. Look, that's so that's really, that's, that's, that's almost the ultimate ballad. Yeah. Uh, but uh, look, it is. But it's it's a lovely tune and a sad lyric, nevertheless. You know, it's a song about someone losing their self-respect following their partner's departure, and you know, she knows it's bad to uh, be a glutton of sympathy. And you know, this she never meant for her life to go there, but somehow it happened. And um, really, this is this is probably one of those songs that explain. We're asking, why were they never as big as Nirvana and really lyrics like this? It's very adult teenagers are not going to be able to identify. Yeah, this is... This is um, the subject matter. 
yeah, college kids aren't going to get it, yet this was probably <laughs> the audience that, that they were aimed at. But yeah, mournful words on a Snow White vacant page, all those amazing poetic lyrics still in there. And just the way they finish off, not just this song, but all the songs, like they don't waste an outro just with fading out on a chorus. Mm, mm. Um, new Mistake went right, right to the end of the song. The 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 climax at the end of this song, just the way it peaks, just does me in every time. I, I can, I, I've shed a tear, I think, over <laughs> the end of this song a couple of times driving home. Yeah. From a gig on, um, you know, three o'clock in the morning, oh, and it's going, oh, how do you do that? How do you get that vocal? How do you, you know, get those harmonies supporting that vocal? It just does me in sometimes. This song. Look, I mean, I, I'm going to say that it's coming back to this whole notion about jellyfish not having been popular in their time, but I think it's so wonderful that people like ourselves, and by virtue of the fact that they're releasing box sets. And uh, for a band that had reissue. two albums, yeah, um, they're, they're, they're releasing are, an incredible amount of stuff for a band that had two albums. People are now going to discover, uh, or people have been discovering this brilliance and getting to hear moments that will, you know, other people will be driving home late at night and listen to that song yep. and and shed a tear as it as it were, yeah, and, and admire their brilliance. So, real, that's. Um, that's absolutely the beauty. I think, you know, that by virtue of the fact that they can have these remasters and these re-releases shows that we are, uh, people are finally picking up on them. And 20 like, years know, later, they've been, yeah, they've been found. But, and I think it only really, you know, if, if this album came out three or four years later, I think it would have had a much better chance at it. Well, look, you, you pop, sort of, you sort of got to wonder. You sort of got to wonder, I mean, because like, uh, not that I'd compare it, Stylistically, but was it? Oh, I guess no. Mate, we, oh, Grace came out in 1994, didn't it? So I was going to yeah. say it came out. It came out like so. The, the world wasn't ready for Grace uh, by Jeff Buckley at the time either. Yeah, so you wonder if that would have come start out when, to push when towards like Weezer and those type of bands right. had a, a bit more power pop about them. They, they had a tendency towards the the darker, grungier sounds, and, but and they yeah. were certainly a lot, lot poppier songs you sort of got to wonder though as well um, like uh when uh, what year so like were ween really popular with yeah like they, which 95 was 96 that, that, that era but because like, i mean the the difference you know they're both melodically playful and yet you know ween were naughty little boys who were taking writing these piss take songs and same with Ben Folds coming up as well. That that whole kind of later nineties period, that the colour came back into music. I was talking about that this time, the ninety three time sort of everything went a, a bit black and white. Yeah, everything came back a bit colourful. And yet, yet you would never stay. I mean, okay, whilst you would never say that Ben Folds was a cult act, but really, you know, Brick was the big song, and we're talking about you know, uh, his his the one song that didn't fit in. On one angry, uh, one angry, on, on uh, whatever, uh, whatever I meant. What, yes, uh, you know, a song about uh, about taking his uh, teenage girlfriend from years ago to have an abortion. Um, that was that was the big song. People wanted those, yeah, uh, those, those um, that desperately sad song. And yet he said, "Listen to the rest of the album. We're talking about uh, we're talking about this horrible guy, Stephen, who." Who uh, just his won't last leave, night in town? <laughs> won't leave, and yeah. and, and uh, Ben Fold's doing what I call his small man song. You know, one angry dwarf. You know, oh, you you made fun of me at school. Well, I'm giving you the finger because Look you know now, I'm yeah. I'm now big. You know, so. 
And I uh, think Jellyfish would have had a massive influence on that that Ben Fold sound. Right. I, I think there's a, a link there. Um, I imagine Fold th- those, was an admirer. Yeah, piano tunes um, that, that come up on this album. Um, I, I'm pretty sure even I, I came across the the name Jellyfish, the band, on, on a Ben Folds forum. Oh, um, okay. But I think about it might have been how I first saw the name and then seen it on subsequent forums after that. But, yeah, bringing it back to, to Glutton. Um, yes. You know, the, the ballad that, that could have been just like Brick was on um, Whatever and Ever Amen. Right. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, good point. There I go saying it wouldn't necessarily do well for the kids, but if Brick could find its audience, then certainly yeah. Glutton of Sympathy, if that had been a single. It was released, but it was, you know, the album's dead in the water by that stage. It was the third or fourth although single you, off it. Although, if you know your pop history, because there's the famous story about the zombies and, you know, Odyssey and Oracle, their second yes, bite yes. of the cherry went nowhere, and then they go, time you know, of the like, season. a year after time of the season, and boom, they got a number one hit on their hands. But well, that's a band that we, we haven't brought up in discussions of this album yet, but yep. I think there's a there's a definite Odyssey and Oracle influence on this album as well. I can see that. Yeah, once again with uh, uh, those harmonies and the storytelling and um, just melodies that, uh, and songs that are not, uh, they, they sound seemingly straightforward and yet there are complexities in there that if you're listening for them, you can really, you can really admire. They could easily do a cover of Cell 44 and that would fit in a jellyfish oh, set. Oh, so much. Absolutely. Like, yeah, easily. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. No, I, I, wish, so we'd spoken, I wish we'd spoken sooner. Every, everyone with Odyssey and Oracle <laughs> who hasn't got uh, spilt milk, this is this is one to get. And uh, then go back to the uh, Love That Album episode we uh, spoke about um, Odyssey and Oracle with the Soda Jerker crew. So go back to yes. that uh, after you've listened and to the album. You got me onto that that podcast. That is a great podcast. Oh, oh, thank you. Um, it's it's an even better album. Uh, yes. But um, all right, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about the uh, the next song on the album. Uh, this is uh, this was the single, the ghost at number one. I don't really know anything about Andy Sturmer's childhood, but I'm wondering if he had a lot of miserable days in a church choir or something like that, because once again, he takes <laughs> aim at the church on, on this song. Uh, actually, so okay, before we go into anything about the lyrics, this is one of the, I guess, one of the rockier songs on the album, certainly on the verses anyway. So we go between the guitar grunge on the verses and the more delicate vocal feel on, on the choruses when they're singing, you know, how does it feel? But yes. um, we were speaking before about um, the, the use of uh, colour, use of instruments, uh, making little cameo appearances. So on this, you get uh, two two instruments that I absolutely love. One, the banjo. Yes, I'm a big fan of I'm a big fan <laughs> of the banjo. I, I have a banjo in my uh, in uh, my music room, which I haven't played in years and years and years. But we um, we teach banjo here at the music school. We've got three or four banjo students, all ages as oh, well. It certainly made a comeback with the whole um, Mumford and Sons and, and neo folk oh, right. type scene. So, well, yep, I've got a 
banjo sitting in this room here with me. Good, good. Pick it up and start listening to some bluegrass. Well done. <laughs> um, the banjo, we got the timpani. What else can we say? The other little production trick that uh, I only picked up in the last week or so, oh, yes. um, get the headphones out, listen to the first, uh, just before the first chorus, um, the reverb that they throw just onto the word ghost and they only do it one time going into that first chorus and I was like wow listen to that had, another one of those picked, times I'm, I'll, I'll have to listen to this through here but I had not picked that up uh, I, just this week having a, a, a listen to it um, and not actively listening for things either but it's like wow and checking the, did they do that on all the other choruses no, uh, no. <laughs> just on that one first you know sort of pre-chorus man, yep. uh, it just shows you that attention to detail and and what they, they did, they just poured everything into this. Actually, so you, I, when I've gone and mentioned that list of instruments there, there's one that I forgot to mention. And once it, it, this is on the outro, this is like on the fade out, you hear the theremin, that ghostly theremin. Well, yeah, it's got the whole, it reminds me of Cabin Essence, um, the, yes. the Beach Boys song. Well, there you go. That's a, that's um, a song with banjo and... and um, exactly right. Yeah, that's what the outro has always reminded me of. Is um that song and I mm. love that song. That's oh, it. <laughs> it is awesome. I don't, is, I love everything about it. <laughs> it. It was wonderful. Now we you know we, I, I had the bootleg and then we got the Brian Wilson version with his band, which they knocked off in like three days because it's Shine, shiny, alone. yeah. And um, then they went and uh, released. Uh, finally went and released a version of the Beach Boys because they had enough stuff to put together, which is how the, the bootlegs have been doing it all these yes, years. But then they yeah. finally went and released like a, a... It's not probably how it was originally intended, but they did it according to... It's as to good the, as they've got, yeah. According to the Brian Wilson band take, they sort of said, right, we'll put it in that order, we'll do it like this, but with the you know, the original Beach Boys lineup, and I'm sure that there's moments in there that they still intended to overdub had they gone on with it, had Brian not sort of... Yeah, you just got to wonder how complete, how complete it ended up. Uh, it sounds as close as yeah to, to complete. I think for for those who have heard it. Yeah, once again, this is another song that's sort of carrying on the dark journey in the, of a carnival sideshow. You know, of a as um, uh, Charles Mingus would have it, the weird nightmare uh, yeah. <laughs> at the start of this record. So, uh, and uh, we we keep mentioning uh, Beach Boys across this as is valid, but particularly like in the uh, the middle eight bit, it sounds so much specifically like Carl Wilson. You can hear his ghost. Yeah, that's on. that's Roger on, on that vocal too. Oh, really? The, the tribute to, to Jeff Lynn's mum, Mrs. Lynn, the fruit of your labour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's that's the Roger sound. But is that is that Roger singing on uh, Sabina Payson Plato? That's, yep, that's his, yeah. his lead vocal yeah, as yeah. well. So yeah, he's clearly got an amazing voice. It's it's been hidden um, underneath this other amazing voice, Andy, doing all the lead vocals. Right, um, and we haven't even mentioned the fact that uh, you know Jason Faulkner is nowhere on this album, and and when you get to hear his uh, his solo albums, which I think we probably have to cover one of those on a future show, um, but you know he is an amazing voice and and these great songwriting skills truly you know i know these talented people (laughs) make me me sick i know (laughs) (laughs) all right let's um let's move on to um uh, the next song on the album and really now for something completely different this is bye 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 so there it is Okay to start again 
so this is one song that defies the standard Beach Boys Queen comparisons and really the standard pop comparisons at all. Bye 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 sounds like it belongs in uh, some pre-war French cabaret show mixed uh, as played by a, a house band, a, a klezmer house band. It's essentially the best poker song of all time. Right. <laughs> what I think. Uh, that, and yeah. it's, it's yeah, you're right in saying it's probably the one point on the album where they've, they've gone to a, a, a really European sound as opposed to definitely a fairly polished American type sound. Yes. But it also, show, I think just their mastery of styles is incredible. It, they never seem to come off. It's not a parody. Yep. Of the style. They, they if they're going to do a style, they absolutely do it. No, well, I mean that's that's the thing. You know, I've I've often sort of gone and had this conversation with people about it. Seems to be either the record companies, or maybe you know just the casual music fan, which sort of wants to stick to one uh, musical style. I, I mean, and that's I, I I hate to sort of go throwing this blanket out. And if you're if you're not a musician uh, and you're broad and diverse, then you know really well lots of power to you. Uh, but I've, I've often sort of kind of felt that maybe the casual people or the um, folks who uh, you know run the record companies that say right you can only like this one style maybe two at best but these guys are all consuming musicians and they'd probably just as soon listen to you know they're probably big fans of um, you know, of uh, that European uh, European styles and and they probably listen to far more than whatever it is that they're going to actually be. Playing, yeah. they've gone and incorporated Absolutely. Some of love, love into it. Someone was telling me during the week about uh, I can't remember what the band was, but it was like a hardcore thrash metal band. And but whenever they're on the tour bus, they're listening to anything but they're listening to uh, just like ACDC. I, I think Angus is a bit of a classical music buff. Yep. Um, that yeah, he, uh, he loves his Chuck Berry and all that, of yep. course. But I'm, I'm fairly sure that I've I've seen or, or read in interviews that yeah, most of his listening time is is the classical. Right. If, have you ever watched the uh, documentary about uh, Lemmy from uh, Motorhead? No, that's that's I know of it, and it's one for the the summer holidays coming up that I, I want to find and and discover. Well, there's this amazing bit where there's um, uh, a camera crew that follows him into I think a Tower Records. And um, they say, oh, what can we help you with today? He says, oh, I'm, I'm after the uh, Beatles mono remastered box set. Thank you on yes. vinyl, please. And, and um, you say, oh, wow. And then he tells us, oh, I was there in the cavern. I saw them in the cavern. And, oh, man. <laughs> um, and, well, same with Ozzy. Ozzy's the biggest Beatles fan of all time. Wow. I, I thought that credit went to uh, Alice Cooper. He was, I think, I'm pretty sure. There's another big. great, if you haven't seen the doco on Alice Cooper. Um, Super Duper Alice Cooper, get well, your hands on that. Look, I watched that earlier on, earlier on this year, and um, look, I'm grateful to have a documentary about him out there, but I think the style that they chose to portray, I, maybe I'm just used to the talking heads form of uh, documentary filmmaking. I okay, just, yeah. It was the... more about the substance than, oh, the, about the style than the substance, but yes. I know that someone was saying, uh, my, my good friend Tim was telling me the other week about, um, a, a, a new documentary about his his manager. Shep. Yep, Shep. Mike Mike Myers produced it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And that would include a lot of Alice Cooper stuff. And I haven't seen that yet. But he says uh, my friend Tim was saying that that's a much better uh, documentary. If you want to know stuff about Alice, plus get the wider story about uh, about Shep, then um, then that's the one. But um, 
Yeah, excellent. I, I bought I bought that super duper Alice Cooper uh, DVD because um, you know, I really wanted to sort of get the full story, and I, I'm glad to have it. I will watch it again, but uh, I guess stylistically, I wasn't sort of so wrapped up. Oh, I want yeah, the filmmaking. More. Yeah. So what are we up to? We've um, uh, so oh yeah, we're still talking about bye bye so, bye. and bye bye bye. Just the um talk another outro that they go right to the last second of the song. That piano turnaround that it's the end of it. That's mm. another one that that just gets me every time. Those yeah. accents are just magic. Yeah, no, it, it is definitely a nice little motif. And I I reckon that they probably would have spent as much time sort of arranging how they were going to do these songs as they would writing the songs because obviously you know in terms of composition these are not songs that they just sort of dug out of the air it's not like oh I, I woke up and i had the whole song in front of me no they crafted these songs very carefully but yeah. they also spent all this time arranging so they had that little piano thing at the end and oh hang on hey wouldn't it be good if we included this and it'll go like that it wasn't just let's throw this in and see what sticks um, no they certainly knew knew what they were doing oh, and it's all in uh, listening to the demos it's all there they, they really could have released the demos as as an album because it was that high quality mm-hmm. um, that, yeah, they just went and enhanced it in the studio to the nth degree. Right, right. So, okay, so all those demos, you were saying they're on that box set. And will be coming out on the, the reissues. Yeah, I look forward to hearing that just to sort of hear how fully realised a, um, a lot of that actually was. If you've listened to any of the Pete Townsend demos, uh, for the yeah, the Scoop series, yeah. The Scoop series, you know, so the stuff for Who's Next and the stuff for Quadrophenia. Really, like all the who were adding in the end was was their expert musicianship, their, their uh, personalities, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the but the the songs, the arrangement, that was all there. Final thing, I guess, I just wanted to say about um about bye bye bye. Is I guess this is a good companion piece to uh, Glutton of Sympathy because um this is already a song about uh, the relationship that's gone wrong and you knew it right from the start. You know, the wedding cake almost fades into a memory thrown into Cupid's face. Love's just fro- <laughs> and love's just frosting anyway. Another wife neglected to the end lives her own prison life. That, that says it all, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to say anything, do we? It's a, it's a but. How yeah, do you, the, how, for me as a musician uh, or, or someone who, I, I've never properly tried to write songs, mm. but you look at this writing and you just, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you? They've got the same six strings that I've got on my guitar. They've got the, they've got the same twelve notes that are in our music system. How do they do that? I I certainly can't do that. Look, they um, it, it depends on. I, I'm sure all these guys are well read, but also I, I was listening to an interview on um, the ABC ABC Newcastle a few weeks ago with Don Walker, and um, the interviewer went and asked him. Uh, look, you know, what books were you reading growing up because your lyrics is so uh, well thought out? And he said, well, my lyrics are less to do with what I've read and more what I've listened to. I grew up in outback uh, Queensland and just I'd be going through all these towns and I'd just be listening to conversations of the locals and what yeah. my lyrics are are reflections of people's conversations. So really that could equally apply here. They, they might... You know, have read stories or they might have heard people speak about hardships in their domestic life and they've just gone and translated that into uh, into their art. Yeah. So that's that's our problem, Reese. is we're just probably too happy in our lives. So we can't, <laughs> we, can't we can't write these Damn things. It. We, we haven't lived the life, you know. We got to we got to live a miserable life and then you know we suffer for our art. All right, where were we? So L- luckily all is forgiven. 
<laughs> Indeed. Right. Okay. All right. Well, that's a nice segue. All is forgiven. So this is another song that oh, you're probably going to say, "What?" Um, this, is, this is no, this is a song, get, don't get me wrong. It's a song I like, but it's another song that I don't think fits here, and that's despite the fact that yes, it's very Queen-like, um, but it's whereas we've had this album that's sort of been really strong on melody, and the um, the rock touches have been more like little dollops on the cake or little ingredients that you're putting in the soup to use the cooking metaphor yeah but this just isn't all out and out balls to the wall rock song and i like it for what it is but it just does it seem to stand out to you or you're going to tell me no you don't know what you're talking about it's to me looking at it's probably the most of the time as in the most of 1993 type song that's on the album so yeah, whether they should have pushed this as a single or or not, was this a single? just to fit in with the time? Um, I, I think it was a later released thing. Okay, but certainly not pushed like uh, Ghost and a New Mistake, um, were. Um, they used it as their live opener as well. Talking about standing up drums. Okay. Uh, before yeah. this is the other one to check out live to to they went straight at it with mm. with this song, but um. Yeah, I mean, it probably is more in the rocking belly button vein. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, it's it's one of the few guitar-driven songs. Right, it's on and, the and album. pretty straight ahead. Yeah, but um, it, I guess it's I guess still it, got those those Queen, you know, the liar, um, the the lyrics that are in that little bridge section, mm-hmm. and the the vocal um, harmony build up there. It fits that whole Queen theme. Yep. of the album still. I guess, I mean, maybe one connection I could make, and this is probably lyric, it lyrically definitely fits on this album because we've been, there's already been a couple of songs there about uh, domestic discordance. And we've got the subject matter of uh, uh, this song about, you know, a real snake in the grass sleezing his way back to his lover's bed despite, you know, previous infidelities, you know, committed and probably to be repeated. Just that first line, heal me, darling, pleaded the playboy bedroom eyes. It's, yes. Yeah. Oh, man. There's, there's no sympathy for, uh, for this character in uh, Andy Sturmer's eyes, as well as there shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, and uh, you, you get lyrics like, clever, uh, truth and avarice encircle his words like a barber pole. Where the hell did that come from? <laughs> this, this is awesome. Uh, Twisted and useless till they disappear in her camisole. I don't think I've ever heard that word ever used in a song. No, um, it's the same, or, or, or used so naturally as well. Like uh, there's a Sloan song that uses onomatopoeia. 
And it's like, that is so forced into the song that he just wanted to get that word in there that it doesn't work. But just, yeah. It's all all natural here, though. The the large vocabulary that's, that's in the lyrics of this album. It doesn't work. It doesn't go to its detriment. It doesn't go to its detriment because never. No, it's that. It, that's just such the skill of the writing as well that you can put this in a pop song. Yeah. No. The the right the right word for the right situation. And if camisole is required, well, by gum, that's what they're going. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's move on to um, the next song, which musically is as contrasting one as as you can get. This is Russian Hill. I dreamt about a tranquil Sunday drive A sensory lullaby We trade the comics, cartoons and magazines For pistons and gasoline From the bedside, parked under the sunshine, I feel the warmth of the engine so we climb inside and take it to the moon. We've spoken a bit about other musicians or bands that probably influenced Jellyfish, but with Russian Hill, I want to suggest who they influenced. And I'd be really surprised if Chuck Jenkins of the Ice Cream Hands had yeah. not taken this or any of the other songs on board. Um, there's um, a song on Sweeter Than The Radio called Gasworks Park and Russian Hill has or it has a similar sort of feel i think to um right to yeah Russian i'm not Hill. familiar with with it mm. um, and to be honest with you chuck's voice is not that well, it might not be similar to andy Sturmer's, but as you listen to this gorgeous song drift by you i don't know about you but i really can hear chuck and his his particular vocal inflections doing right. this in an ice cream hands live set um i don't know whether he sort of fitted in with a Zhivago set but certainly back in the Ice Cream Hands days sure. this song would have slotted in perfectly yeah yeah and just the contrast of this absolute screaming vocal um, on All Is Forgiven yep to just the subtlety and the smoothness mm. that, that he, he vocally presents here that's right yep yeah. It's, well there's no bombast not at all mm. uh, and I uh, uh, should have said with All Is Forgiven uh Vinyl people, all is forgiven was the opener of side two, and then you, yeah, you're straight into to Russian Hill, which is just this smooth, lush. The the pedal steel that that fades in and out on it is right. just and, makes the song for me. And that, if I recall correctly, so this is probably the only song on the album that actually uses that pedal steel, doesn't it? Yeah, um, and I, I've whether I, I think it might be the the box set liner notes mm. that they they wanted the pedal steel on the song. Um, and the the session guy playing it was you know playing all these licks, but it just didn't quite fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, they just had him record a track and would yeah fade it in and out and 
right. looped it backwards and, and yeah. oh, whatever they, they did to it. Well, so from a from a negative situation, they turned it into something positive. Yeah, just to give it that that floating smooth feel, because the song just floats by. They want something ethereal, not not country. Yes. And uh, you know, they and, and probably I should mention I, I, I mentioned Don Walker's name before and his uh, pedal steel player. There's a guy called Garrett Costigan, and uh, I went to see Don Walker a few weeks ago. And Garrett costigan probably would have fitted in perfectly on this session because he does have that dreamy feel he's not out there to play lots of notes he's out there to play the right notes yep um, so yeah absolutely gorgeous that's player. a kind of player that gets respected by other musicians as well 100 percent. so this song seems to be about how we age from the cradle to the grave and just literally cruise through our lives using uh, the motorway as a metaphor for traveling through life um they're right watch the clouds turn into faces it's fun to play shift the gears for years and age a single day until we spill onto russian hill now i know russian hill is an area of san francisco so yes forgive my lack of uh not i mean i've actually been in san francisco but no not every i was only there for like about four days would it be is there like a cemetery in russian hill because when this we we go from the cradle um we it was a, is, is it is it where people in san francisco end up is that the uh, i don't know it was a place that andy lived in oh, so okay. it's it's a reflection on on living there it's um, only because he mentions that you know line until we spill onto russian hill it's yeah like that's that's where we're destined to end up at uh, the end of our lives, but I don't know, I might have uh, misinterpreted that. Well, there is foreshadowing that at the end of the day, we're all just going to end back where we came from anyway. Uh, well, uh, well, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, is this, uh, do you think this is the song that, that has the least sort of, uh, you can't notice the the influences, like it's not a direct reference, like you can see the Queen influence, you can see the, the Beach Boys influence. Um, um, I think no. this is, Actually, you know yep. what? No, so I have written here. I do have one influence, and it's not one that you'd naturally think of. But I listen um, because when you get to the flute or the keyboard flute sound, yes, um, that section uh, evoked for me Pat Metheny. I yes, yeah, and they are jazz heads. Yeah, so both I'd big be, jazz heads. I'd be very surprised. Uh, oh, sorry, or rather, I, I should say, I would not be very surprised if uh, they came out and said that um, that there was a, uh, they were thinking of Matheny around this around right. this time. It could be coincidental, and and they might say, "Well, we're glad you took that from it," but that's the impression I get. So even there, yeah, I can would, see an influence. But once would again, make complete sense. I mean, look, once again, we, we've gone and mentioned a lot. I, I don't want to give the impression to the listeners who haven't heard this album that they're saying, all oh, right, well, they're just ripping off all these other bands. It's they're, not derivative, yeah. No, not at all. They, they're just sort of saying, right, well, we're taking all these ingredients out of our cookbook and we're going to mix it together and do our thing with it. And you can see where they've come from, but you also see what they're doing with it. Yep. And it's how we're selling it to you as well, to go out and buy it and <laughs> get yourself So mid, mid to late January. Mid to late January, it'll be out. Uh, yep. The uh, the uh, remasters and uh, save yourself up for that. I don't know for you vinyl heads out there whether it's uh, coming out again remastered on vinyl, but certainly the yeah, because this this company did a vinyl run. Okay, uh, as one of the first things they did, and uh, of the success of that, they've released obviously lots of sub subsequent stuff since. 
So it's it's January twenty something. So vote for the CD. So time will tell yes. whether it does a uh, a vinyl thing. But I'm more than happy to be going out and buying the CDs. I'm not going to use this show to go down the vinyl versus CD road. I might not even yeah. commit, <laughs> commit. I might not even commit those thoughts to podcasts because I might get people. Um, verbally abusing me, so I'm not going to go down that road. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, really, there's this song is um, beautiful, achingly beautiful and sad. You know, who I reckon else probably would love this song um, would be Paul Westerberg because you know, I always yeah. said that the replacements were a band that either fully rocked out or they wrote tear in your beer type ballads. So um, sadly beautiful. Or Skyways, you know, which I just the hairs stand up on the back of my arms every time I hear those songs. Um, I, I reckon he'd probably, if he's heard this song, he'd be a big fan of this tune. Yes. Uh, um, of course, Andy's gone on another um, uh, bash the church phase in this song. Even in a beautiful song like this, uh, past the cathedrals filled with God's favourite guests, uh, dirty, dirty hands feel dirty clean. Hand- when dressed in their Sunday best. Yes. He, he's uh, showing loud and proud, I'm sick of you guys, and I'm, I'm just going to write about it in song. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I think this might be the only song, uh, I'm not sure, I think this might be the only song on the album that uses a double bass, and I love that wooden sound. It's yep. just absolutely gorgeous. And, and probably um, the other thing that we should mention is the the time signatures so the basic the repeated refrain is three four three four two four and i just to get that past a a a listener as well with the skill that they have is is just once again incredible writing it look it took a few listeners i think oh hang on is this some unusual 17 five sort of no no it's one two three one two three two or one two and (laughs) exactly that's what happens to people trying to count that but yeah interesting you mentioned the double bass the um mm. the band that uh andy and uh, roger ended up joining at beatnik beach i've uh, not heard their material the, the band before that um the the guy who sort of led that or whose band it was mm. um yeah was double bass player oh, okay so and, they uh, have a history yeah and you've got double basses on the first track of um belly button as well the man i used to be is a right. great great double bass sound on that as well. Oh, I'm a sucker for that sound. I really, really am. So, what else is so that we've mentioned? Yeah, it has a double bass. Um, oh, I love the gorgeous high call and response voices on the chorus. Has that yep. ghostly ethereal? There's type the thing. Rod, that's Roger once again. That's oh. a Roger voice. Oh man, it's beautiful. And uh, some un- unlike a lot of else of what um, Andy is playing on the album, the, the full-on drum sound, uh, the full-on bombast. We get some really beautiful, simple brushwork on this, and I, I, I mentioned the word "sucker." I'm a sucker for beautiful, simple brushwork. Yep. This is probably one of my two favourite songs on the album. Um, so what we're going to do now is uh, talk about my very favourite song on the album. This is uh, "He's My Best Friend."
one thing that you would have thought if you'd only looked at the title of this song, you thought, oh yeah, so this is going to be uh, another Queen comparison. Uh, he's my best friend, you're my best friend. But it's not actually a Queen song uh, or, or Queen comparison here. Um, for the longest time, i got to confess, I didn't really pay that much attention <laughs> to the lyrics. Only really since we've been prepping for this podcast. Um, you know, just sort of hear that great lyric, you know, oh, he's, he's my best friend. And, um, but you tended to think of Sturmer's voice and the group's harmonies as instruments. So that's why I didn't really sort of focus terribly much on the lyrics for this song. Um, the, and I've got to say the harmonies as elsewhere on the album are produced exquisitely. But this song, if you've not heard it before, takes its place in the pantheon of great songs about wanking. Uh, it holds its place with Pulling Muscles from the Shell by, um, by Squeeze and Pictures of Lily by The Who. Now, there's been suggestions for the longest time that Turning Japanese is a, is a masturbation song, but that's been denied. And the more I think about it, I think, yeah, it's not really a masturbation song, but... We should do an all-time top 10 songs about wanking if we can think about any. I was very surprised that uh, top all-time top 10 podcasts hadn't done something like that, if they haven't already. Well, Ben Eisen, if you're listening to this, and I hope that you are, uh, we want an all-time top 10 songs about shaking hands with your wife's best friend. Can you do that? <laughs> this is a per- this is, I'm putting in my request now. Reese and I are more than happy to do the research and join you for <laughs> Um, oh so, dear! <laughs> so we might have put ourselves in a spot, but I, I'm gonna, you know, we're, we're putting it out there, so you know, we're gonna keep keep to our word, Reese. That's We've it. We've got Shebop for the female listeners too. As well. <laughs> that's right. If you'd like to join us, um, this song. Uh, uh, the other thing that's good about um, this song is it takes a break from the lyrical darkness on this album. Yes. This song is just so damn funny, and in a way, this probably belongs on on belly button, really. But. Um, and probably why this is my least favourite song. Oh, really? <laughs> so there you go. It's, there you it's go. All right. Well, then turn about the fair play. We've gone and dissed our two, each other's two favourite songs. That's it. Um, look, for me, it's it's damn funny. And the other thing is I like about from a production perspective on this album is that there's not a one-size-fits-all. You get so many albums where they're going to go for the bombast the whole way through or they're going to go for the shoegaze sound the whole way through. And this song... It's this this could fit on Austin Powers soundtrack. It's got that real like Harry Wilson spill the wine kind of groove <laughs> to it. Um, yeah, it's it's sort of where the rest of the album's been seventies. This is real sixties. Yes, it is. It and is. You detour to the say twenties and thirties with bye bye bye. But yeah, this is this is sixties and probably why I think yeah, it's it's more a belly button type track than and yet. Than, I- uh, and, and yet, while we're talking this, about this, I can think of one reason why it does belong here, because in whatever other way, a lot of the other songs had a cabaret or a carnival sort of feel about this. The main instrument on this uh, is, or at least a synthesized version there, is the Calliope. Yep. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, I, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, the, 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 uh, the, the organ grinder, the guy with the monkey. The you know, benefit of Mr. Kite type sound, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that's, um, that's, it gives it that carnival feel, and the carnival feel is present across all the albums. So in that regard, if you're going to do the stretch and you know, think a little bit more laterally, then maybe this song actually does fit on, um, on Spilt Milk. Yes. Uh, so what else? Uh, uh, one, what, it, what have I got written here? Uh, one instrument choice, and everything 
on the album is so deliberate is the use of the piccolo snare drum. Um, now, I don't know if I, I've possibly mentioned this on another show, but I've certainly got to mention it to friends. Um, as a drummer, I, I love to hear different, obviously different drum sounds that are on, on various albums. And there's, in the 70s, there's, uh, on a lot of 70s recordings, you get snare drums that sound deep in pitch, not deep in terms of resonance. Yeah, I understand and, what you mean. And they, they just sound a bit lame to me. At the other end of the spectrum, you get some albums that came out in the 90s which use this uh, piccolo snare. So the, the size of the snare, the, the height is... It's, it's quite maybe thin, half, quite shallow, yeah. Very much. Half the depth, if that, of you know, your traditional snare drum. And i got to tell I hate that sound. I really hate the sound. There's uh, one of the Knack uh, comeback albums, an album called Zoom. And songwriting-wise, it's absolutely brilliant. The equal of uh, either of their first couple of albums from the original heyday. And it's, it's a hard album for me to listen to, though, because uh, uh, Terry Bozio is playing that, that piccolo yeah, snare. But cracking. They, oh, it's horrible. But <laughs> on, on this song, it sounds like they're using a piccolo, and yet, for some reason, it works. Just Jolly the nuance. Yes. Yep. Jolly, Jolly, I mean, maybe it was something to do with uh, the engineering, but it's just it's absolutely perfect. So... Um, if you're out there, if you're a drummer, uh, uh, Wendy, Wendy Freeman, you're out there. If you're listening to this, and I know that Jellyfish would be in your uh, in, in your uh, beloved list of bands, tell me, what do you think about piccolo uh, snare drums? Do you play one? Uh, it's also got that, that brushwork sound mixed in with the, the stickwork sound, I think might, might help it out too. Right, right. Just give it, uh, just give it a little bit more depth. Yeah, mm. where it shuffles out. But... Um, Look, as brilliantly, uh, as musically brilliant as this song is, I think the true genius is in the lyrics. You know, I mean, we've really gone this back. And this is a song about masturbation, and you get lyrics like, My hands are five leaf clover, it's Palm Sunday over and over. So he's mixed, he's mixed religion and wanking all in the one stanza. And just there the no, ne- no need for alcohol, no, no need for rubber sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> And Just such you, great you, you don't need a turn of phrase. You don't need a brain to have a stroke of genius. Stroke! You see what he's done there? <laughs> oh. um, now, I, look, I'm a big fan of uh, well-arranged call and response songs, and the final stanza of the song with <laughs> Sturmer singing, you know, the the title refrain over and over again. He's my best friend, and they're singing lines like, "I pick him up when he's feeling down." I could and hold gets, hands for hours. <laughs> and he gets shy around other men. I I guess he's always been hanging around. Uh, really? How can this be your least favourite song? I, I, I don't understand it. You know? I, um, I, I think it's more even where it's placed on, on the album. Right. That you're, you're starting to get ex- a little exhausted. This is probably, this and the next songs where it's probably starting to get a bit long right. um, for me. That okay. it's just been so much, so much, so much that, it probably could have done without this one and the next even. Uh, look, well, no, I, I disagree. Uh, I disagree with you about. But I'm certainly glad we. I'm certainly glad we have them. When I say it's, it's my least favorite song, yeah, um, as you were saying earlier with Glutton. Yeah it's, yeah, it's not one that you skip. No, I look. I don't skip anything. Well, look, let's talk about the next one because you've mentioned it already. Um, this is too much, too little, too late. Say goodbye, your song. 
song about shaking hands with your wife's best friend to a song about all not being forgiven is a bit of a heavy step um this uh, this probably is the song if i were to skip a song this would probably be it it's probably yeah, just this... my, it's another um, straight ahead pop song it's got like you know it's got some good influences it's got a bit of a, a mixture of bad finger with a hint of uh, elo harmonies and uh, that 80s to 90s George Harrison guitar solo in it but this this was a studio created song um, that yeah they didn't demo this one this was just purely done on the moment in the studio so did they ever do it live do you know uh, yeah I'm I'm pretty sure I've, I've heard live versions of it it's still just a, a great sort of jangle pop song but it, it doesn't have the the sparkle or the attention to detail. The thing is, it could have been done by anyone, really. It's, it's, yeah. It doesn't have that jellyfish touch. It's, as you say, it sounds like, oh, well, you know, we want to include this here. I've just come up with this song here. Yeah, let's just tack it on. It, it does have a bit of a tacked-on feel about it. But, yeah. Um, it, it's pleasant enough, but certainly not an album highlight. Yeah, it's, and yeah, still, as we said with the last one, not one you skip because it's still great. You know, jangle pop writing. Mm. Um, but it's probably best maybe saved for a B-side rather right. than ending up on the album proper. Oh, look, it would have been a great song if you would have sort of got it on as a re-release as a deep, bonus yeah, extras. Deep would cut have, or something like that. And you go, wow, wow look at that. that. They've still got... They can even do throwaway songs in their sleep. Uh, as, yeah. as we were saying earlier, yeah. Right. Well, we can say, oh, we don't like this one, but try and write something like this then. <laughs> Alright, look, this is probably the song that we're going to spend the least amount of time on unless you've got anything more to add to that. Uh, just once again, great lyrics. Um, a lot of, yeah, the religious theme still going through it and going, alright, way back when all you loved was the grease paint, not the collection plate, so much yes. for the funny face. Yes. Another, another slight sort of kiss reference and I learned it well in Sunday school. It's like, okay, well, I've been there and done that. I understand it enough to form an opinion on it and my opinion is this <laughs> it's not for me exactly right mm. okay let's uh, move on to the final song on the album and probably those listeners out there are probably thinking thank goodness because this has gone for quite a <laughs> while but yeah, we have a lot to say about this record this song is called Brighter Day strike the tent Pop the paint bombs and pack the carriages with the flesh freaks of fear. At the beach, we left them shell shocked, lining up the avenue in view of next year.
myself too short So now he travels door to door performing We arrive to the end of the night. We presume that the end of the nightmare. This is particularly clever because you sort of imagine that with a song like Brighter Day, at the end of this nightmare of domestic problems and infidelities and uh, hating the church that, and all these sorts of troublesome adult-based nightmares, that with a title like Brighter Day, they're going to end up the night, end up the CD with the word with a song that says don't worry happy 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 joy joy yes and it's not the brighter day is still ironic um you'd imagine this air of optimism but is that what you get no way the circus parade is is not ending it's just beginning um i can see it being led by a collective of uh, evil looking clowns you know this yeah uh, there's there's nothing celebratory about it. it. It sounds perfectly scary, exactly what nightmares are made of. This is supposed to be the end of a nightmare. No, it's, it's not. It's just, it's yeah, it's everything all at once. It's all the bad dreams you've had that night, all in this one condensed moment now. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, you know who I'd love to... We've already gone and mentioned XTC. This is... We spoke about XTC's influence on the band, but... This is a song I'd like to hear Andy Partridge sing. I would have liked to have heard XTC perform. I think I can hear his voice all over this. Yep. This was another one of the, the purely studio written yeah. creations as well. And you'd, I think I mentioned this earlier about one of the songs, but you feel that they could have just kept going and going and going creating this song as well because, uh, you know, they pulled off some magical things live, but I don't think they could ever come close to pulling this one off. Oh, look, they're brilliant. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think they could. Um, they might have to have a cast of thousands, but... Yeah, it's a, it's a real studio creation. Mm. It really reminded me as well um, uh, of Late Last Night, the Split Ends song. Oh, yeah, I can see It's got that. That, that sort of real jagged uh, sort of structure to it yep. and the sound of it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that song. I could listen to that song forever. When I was, well, when I was about 10 years old, this is before you were born. <sighs> so, um, <laughs> that was that was where I picked up on Split Ends late last night was the big single back in whatever it was, 74 or 75. And uh, yep. I, I remember you know, a good mate had uh, one of those old KTEL collections, you know, 20 top 40 hits on the one album and late last night was on there and like, I borrowed the album and I just played that song over and over and over yeah what a what an amazing achievement and same with this song it's just an amazing achievement when you you can't think what else could they possibly do to, to top everything that's come before it and you okay. get to this song and it's just like holy another, cow another thing that this reminds me of I don't know how much of an Elvis Costello fan are you? Uh, casual yeah uh, okay well so look there, there was an album that he put out what was literally called his Fat Elvis period. Um, He uh, put out this, I think it was his second album for Warner Brothers called Mighty Like a Rose and this was Elvis getting angry. All these songs on that record are uh, he's rallying against society, he's rallying against hypocrisy um, and there's a song on the album called Couldn't Call It Unexpected Number 2 and really brighter day with the circus feel and the the, the uh, roundabout it, 
it reminded me so completely of this song, but also the anger uh, that's in this song. We get uh, this lyric, don't you know there's going to be a heavy price to pay for pushing all those clouds away? Mm. And that sounds like, oh, that could have come out of Elvis's mouth. Um, you know, we, you like to, basically, because all this album has been about a nightmare, but he's saying, it's like they're saying here, guess what? This isn't a nightmare. This is real life. Uh, yeah. We like we like to uh, paint things. We like to sort of like live our everyday lives as if uh, things are good and things are wonderful and we just watch our crappy TV and we ignore the harsh realities of the world. But guess what? This isn't a nightmare. This is real life. And um, you want you want to make things good? Well, someone else is going to have to pay for it and eventually you're going to have to pay for it. And yes. that, that fits in with Elvis's themes on Mighty Like a Rose and right. all the themes of the rest of this album. It's just... Uh, so, you know, we, we've faced infidelities and no forgiveness and failed marriages. And it's almost like at the very end of the song, we get that um, motif that we get in Hush at the beginning of the album. So it, it has come full circle. but Closing so, credits. Closing, closing credits, but we're not letting you off the hook. That's it. All that stuff we talked about, guess what? That's life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm, I now think I need to have a lie down. With, um, any, so any final thoughts on the album as a whole, Reese? Uh, just that uh, from the time that I've got it, it's probably the one album that at the end of a gig, at the end of teaching guitar for 12 hours a day, um, if there's any music that I can still sit down and listen to, I can throw this one on in the car on the way home. Not normally, I'll be listening to your podcast or um, one of the other many podcasts that I I, I listen to. Mm. Um, but yeah, I since I've got it, I would have listened to this start to finish uh, at least once a month what? when I'm not binge listening to it over and over. Well, that, well, that was going to be my next question because you would have like as I did binge listen to this for um, you know, just for preparation for the podcast. Uh, do you think you're now going to take a break from the album or you're ready well, to go I, back to at least once? Honestly, I didn't listen to the album itself that much. I did okay. go and listen to a lot of the, the demos, check out some live um, stuff just because I know it so yep. well. Yep. Yep. And yep. that's why I was surprised to find the little things here and there um, to go, wow, I, I'm still hearing things. Um, I probably only heard this uh, less than 10 years ago for the first time. Mm this album. Um, so yeah, 10, 10 or 12 years after it came out was the first time I heard it. Mm. Um, and within that, you know, eight year period, whatever it is, I'm still finding stuff today. Like I, I never heard that or a lyric that just, just pops out that, that suits whatever situation's happening at the time. Right. Right. No, that's, uh, that's the mark of, um, of a timeless record. I mean, there are albums that are great in their time, but don't necessarily stand up years later. But this is one that, you know, here we are 20 years after the fact, we're still talking about it and new people are discovering it now. And That's hope- it. It's still as fresh today. If you, you handed it to someone and say, check out this new band, you'd probably be able to sneak it by them because yeah. it, it stands up. Hmm. All right. So that concludes our marathon session of, uh, of Jellyfish. Uh, so what... Um, I'll mention quickly here is that, uh, well, I, I think I said this at the beginning of the show, is next month we've got uh, two uh, end-of-year specials to talk about favourite albums of 2014 or favourite albums that people discovered in 2014. So there'll be one special from the Shooting the Shit crew 
if you if that name means nothing to you, then go back through the Love That Album archives uh, and see what that means. It's just a, a group of regular uh, contributors to the show. We get together and um, shoot the shit, as it were. We've done we've done these things on, on our favourite albums of the year, but we've also done specials. Unfortunately, none this year. Uh, just talk, we'll pick a topic and we'll just sort of uh, talk about whatever that might be, something in the music world that uh, that we're passionate about. And I should probably throw in, uh, we should probably do a uh, shoot in the shit session sometime next year. That's not end of year favourites related because we didn't do one this year, much to uh, my, um, uh, not annoyance, I don't know, much to my regret would probably be a better expression. So anyway, we're going to do one of those and also uh, another special with feedback from uh, either previous presenters or anyone out there who's listening uh, will uh, send me your feedback. I'll either read it out or play it if you're sending me an MP3, uh, and that'll be a terrific uh, presentation. And the whole point of these specials is for those of you out there who might not know about some of these albums, someone else might have discovered an album that um, you might really dig. So you might hear someone talking about it and think, oh, I must follow that up. That sounds really terrific. So that's what these specials are about, to basically keep the discussion of music going and share uh, share our discoveries around it's that's what excites us all about music it's hopefully why you're listening to this podcast um, and it's what keeps me doing this show because I get to meet uh, great people like yourself Reese uh, well, thanks and, and, and a whole bunch of other people you know, who I've only met through doing this podcast and really I, I can tell you now that some of my favorite albums of this year have been suggestions from people on the Facebook group or people who've gone and presented shows um, and I've made some really wonderful discoveries. It's not all about finding things on the radio, unfortunately, anymore. So, but we have definitely it not. <laughs> it's it's you know, word of mouth. Um, so I rely on people uh, like you know, listeners like yourself and contributors to um, say you really need to dig this out. If you if you've enjoyed this one, then you'll enjoy this one. So um, please contribute to uh, to that special. Send me an email once again. Rrr kitchen. That's triple R, but not the words triple R. So rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au or send me um, an attachment via a private message on Facebook and I'll either read it out or, or uh, play the MP3, however it is that you send it to me. Um, so anything that uh, you want to plug your gigs? I know that you're saying that you're taking some time off, Reese, but they're regular. So when can people see yeah. You're doing Friday, so, Saturday, Sunday. So give, give people the details in Melbourne when they can catch you. All right. So uh, Friday nights, I play at a bar in Crown Casino called the Double Up Bar. Uh, Saturday nights with a band called G-Force, led by the wonderful Matt Bradshaw. Uh, that's at Elephant and Wheelbarrow in the city. And then Sunday nights, which will be tonight, I'll be off at Crown Casino once again at Jackpot Bar. Right. Uh, so that's your being a dressed to chill gig, is it? Uh, no, this is uh, the the two crown ones are with a wonderful female singer Rosie Conforto, who's got an awesome band uh, called Pretty Villain mm-hmm. that uh, everyone should check out. So that's our original act. Yep. Uh, and tonight, so we do four sets of acoustic covers, so four forty minute sets, um, and it turns into a bit of a request fest, which is always good fun for me because <laughs> um, I'll just bring up some words and yeah, let's go, let's play this one. We can do it. Yeah. Has anyone ever come up to you with a song that you said I? don't know that one or I only vaguely know. Have you ever done any half-started songs? Oh, all the time. All the time, <laughs> of course. Because I know half of everything. Oh. Uh, but it does, 
I, I love putting one past people when they go, oh, you can't play that. Uh, I did get a One Direction request from a real burly bloke um, <laughs> a, a couple, couple of weeks back, you know, coming up being a smartass. Um, so I did the whole That's What Makes You Beautiful song for him. I can't uh, say I know that. Um, <laughs> you don't need to, trust me. Thank, but, goodness, um, thank yeah. goodness for that. So it was great to, to put him back in his box. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I can do that stuff as as well as all the sort of, all my favourites as well. Like I more get to play that in the acoustic shows than so, um, the 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 Saturday night cover rock band thing. It's real commercial rock and, stuff. And if you're uh, living in Melbourne and and are thinking of, well, you know what, I've always wanted to learn the guitar, but I just haven't found a good place to go. Well, Reese, give people the details. Where can they find your music school? Okay, so. Up. Where uh, the name of the school is the Eastern Suburbs School of Music, and you can find us on the web at www.essm.net.au. Uh, and if you're you by mistake type in a .com, we've got the .com back these days, which is good too. So it just redirects to our main site. Um, I've got lots of uh, blog posts up there as well about learning the guitar. Um, our drum teacher has contributed there as well. Um, so yeah, hopefully some helpful hints and we're looking to do some bit more video, mm. uh, with hints during the year and maybe we might sneak a podcast out next year oh, as well. Well, we if spoke t- about this time allows. We spoke about this off air. So just quickly, you know, 30 second summary of what it is that your podcast, your, what you're planning to do. Okay. So, uh, I've decided if I put this podcast together, uh, it will be called simply learning music. And uh, I want to talk about, you know, going back to the origins of, of picking up an in- instrument for the first time, what influences there were, um, share some easy, quick tips to make you a, a better player at home, mm. um, and then hopefully find some interview subjects um, and discuss with them how they came to learn instruments, um, what they took from their influences, and how they got to the level that they got to today. Yeah. So whether that's people like myself that I'd like to interview that are are making a living but not exactly being TV famous or radio famous or anything like that yep. um, or, or, you know, getting the biggest people that I, I possibly could if I um, can. So, Paul McCartney, if you're out there, I'm going to do a podcast <laughs> uh, Paul's uh, a regular, next year. Paul's a regular listener to the podcast. Oh, I've heard sure. that. Yeah, yeah, I've heard yeah, that. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that sounds fantastic. I'm really, really looking forward to uh, hearing that eventuate and uh, we'll be plugging, plugging the crap out of that. Um, and the last, the last one as well, if you're, you're interested in uh, the Dress to Chill Act, that can be found at dresstochill.com.au as well. And we'll be releasing an album in the new year nice. uh, to iTunes. Nice. I look forward to that. All right. Well, Reese, once again, thank you for uh, coming onto the show and, and spending your time. I know that you've, uh, you keep all sorts of late hours and you probably need to get a little bit of sleep before tonight's gig so i'm really i certainly will be crashing out (laughs) but no thank you very much and thank you for uh for for doing the podcast because it does keep me company um on the way home from gigs many times and absolutely thoroughly enjoy it uh all the guests too thank you very much for for sharing your own passion in music it's just such a pleasure to listen to I'm now duty-bound to keep this going if for no other reason because you need the company when you're driving back from gigs. That's it. Exactly right. I, I can't stop now. Just me listening. You've got to keep it going. <laughs> That's it. That's it. One is enough. One is enough. But, of course, I want more. But, you know, but, you know just, I don't want people to drop off. But, you know. 
All right. Anyway, uh, thanks so much, uh, listeners out there, and uh, really looking forward to um, uh, December's end of year specials. I'm looking forward to presenting them to you, and um, please join us then. Until then, stay uh, stay happy, be nice to each other, not like these domestic bust ups and jellyfish. I mean, this <laughs> go and buy spilt milk. <laughs> go buy, yeah, go buy spilt or put a pre-order in for January for the re-release. Um, no, uh, go see some great films if you can. Listen to some music. Uh, talk to people about a record. Read books. Talk with people about what it is that you love. That's the important thing. If you're listening out there, you start up a podcast that I can listen to because I'm always interested to hear other people's passion. So just do it. Until uh, December, all the best. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.